Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Lawrence. From the Ancient One Studio, this is the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer Podcast. Welcome to the Cube. <laughs> Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 95 of the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer podcast. I'm your host, Dan. And I'm Brendan. Brendan, so we have visitors, right, mm-hmm. to our show. And who are they? Well, I don't remember. <laughs> I got it. It's the Aether Sea. Yeah. <laughs> got it. Okay. Yeah. Tell us about what's going on this time. Well, really, it's pretty straightforward. We're going to be talking about the Deepkin Battle Tomes. That'll be the main segment today. Okay, perfect. And then we have some announcements, as always, in Whispers. There are a few new things, a few things uh, getting ready to come out. We've got some reports on games played. And then there's a couple of new things in events. But that's it, I think. So it's time for Ideneth, and we will move on to Whispers from the Warp. Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Okay. Uh, I got you good with that one. You did. I'm like, what the hell is he doing? <laughs> that was great. All right. Hobby time, buddy. Yeah. Not too much for me. I spent the last week traveling for work. Not had much to do on that front. But before that, it was getting the last of my Sylvaneth put together. Yes. So I've got just the Tree Lord left to build. And that leaves me with three Kurnoths to paint, a Tree Lord to paint, a War Song to paint, an Endless Spell to paint. Probably 10 Dryads for summoning, and then some basing, and then the six Wildwoods that go along with it. But that's, you know, a couple evenings, a couple afternoons. Oh, three and a half weeks till the next event. Yeah. I think you got enough time. Too easy. <laughs> yeah, too easy for sure. Cool. Do you have any plans for future once you get your Sylvaneth done? Any long-term stuff? Oh, beyond, like, what I'm taking to Vault Wars? Yeah. Not really. You know, rumor has it that there's a Sylvaneth book somewhere on the horizon, so... okay. We'll see what that shapes out as. But other than that, it's it's really just, you know, using it for Vault Wars. Next up is figuring out what to do for ATC. I'm kind of waiting on, you know, what the full pack is going to look like and mm. then what the Daughters of Cain and uh, Nighthaunt book is going to shape out as. And that'll, sure. That'll largely shape some decisions for me. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, so you think you there's a chance you would play Nighthaunt, depending on the book? Well, so historically it's been four players, one from each Grand Alliance, mm. and... I'm historically slotted into the death player slot. <laughs> you are Dr. Death, yeah. And so we'll we'll see amongst the death books what has the most viability, what fits the role that needs to be fit best, and then sure. I will pursue that role aggressively. ATC, you're planning to win, so there's no yeah. question about that. All right. I had two hobby projects. One was not even Sigmar related. I ended up sealing all the grout in our fully tiled from <laughs> floor to ceiling shower in our new home. And so that was a pretty big project, man. You imagine taking a hobby paintbrush, you know, and going through all the seams a couple of times over. So that took up a lot of time in the last week. But I did get started on the gash finally. I got his sword done. He it saw looks that. Good. Yeah, really happy with that. Took a lot of time. And I'm going to kind of work through like i talked about before i want to take very segmented parts of him so i'm going to work on him at first you know he's holding the sword i got that i'm going to work on his armor his fancy hat all those other pieces and parts and then i'll 
kind of branch out to the ghosts and all those things. I've got some conversions I've talked to you about that I want to get done or at least see how they look. You know, I've got plenty of time as well to get him done. I have no doubt that I'll have him finished. And I'm definitely going to take him after our experience at Rubicon. And if I don't win, I don't win. I just loved playing him. It was really, really a cool experience with him. So I'm glad you suggested that a while ago. That's it for me for hobby. And Nagash is going to kind of take up my time. Yeah, complicated model. It, it deserves some slow progress. Absolutely, yep. It's nice to have a project like that where you can be very methodical. Defined, methodical, and- yep. In terms of new stuff or things on the horizon, so Thondia, that stuff with the Incarnate, I think it is, isn't it? Yep. That model's in there. Tyranids have been unleashed in 40K. Everything is there. The book models dice all the accoutrements. So that's all out. We got an announcement about another Underworlds called Nether Maze, which features the Shadeborn Daughters, mm-hmm. and then the Claw Pack Skaven, which I know you're very excited about, oh, of course. so excited. <laughs> so that I came out. I can barely contain myself. <laughs> I'm just, again, hypothetically, we have no idea if it's related, but I found it interesting that Daughters coming out soon with Nighthaunt, that was one of the factions here, and then all the swirling around in the discussion about Skaven being one of the unknown books. Mm-hmm. Again, probably not related at all, but it, It's kind of cool to think about that they're all part of a plan (laughs) because it's nice to know that. We had the 40K rules errata that was released. A lot of discussion around that. If you are interested, listeners, the big headline was that the Harlequins and the Custodies got nerfed. (laughs) You know, whatever. I got to say, I was really surprised at the points for the Void Seekers that went up like almost 50% for one model. I think it went from 95 to 130, which is a big increase, Brendan. It's huge. And it really changes what you can do because people, I believe, would take like nine of these things, right? That's an extra 360, 400 points that you're throwing in there now. Different decisions. Sure. Yeah. Again, it was real eye-opener, that big a percentage of increase. And obviously other rules changes and things. There was a change for Space Marines that was positive. Ooh, big surprise <laughs> there. But again, there's plenty of videos out and other things, podcasts that talk about the errata. So you may want to listen to that if you have any interest. Pre-orders yesterday, it's all Blood Bowl. And I believe it was the Norse team, wasn't it? Yep. Yep. Do you have any interest in that? Or is anything in particular that you found interesting, I guess, in the... I mean, the models are cool. Really, the thing I'm waiting for is just the Blood Bowl 3 video games that come out. It's way easier to get games in with that than it has been the the tabletop version Mm. for a long time. Yeah, cool. Cool models. Glad people have them. Yeah. People are going to make some cool conversions out of them. It's nice to have new Yeti models for nothing else for the Age of Sigmar stuff. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. A little crossover there. That's great. Yeah. Cool. So that's it. And hopefully by the time we're finishing up today, we'll have some news for next Saturday. Games played? Well, we went to Spring Rubicon last week, and I think we both agree we had great time. And we're going to talk about it next episode in Lies, because there's quite a bit to talk about. Yeah, we got to try and buy more shows <laughs> yeah, in terms of content. Go. Sure. But I think it'll be interesting for everybody. And again, we had a wonderful time. As far as other games, I, of course, have been doing Sib Beyond Earth, Rising Tide, but I had an epic sea battle, one I, bigger than I'd ever had before. Hmm. The One of the neat things about Rising Tide is there's a fair amount, if you want it to be, of uh, building your cities on the ocean, literally. Almost inevitably, every faction builds a navy of some kind. Sure. But the navies are usually, when the, somebody goes on the offensive, you know, diplomacy fails, usually like six to eight ships 
of some combination. They're submarines, they're like gunships, and then they're these cruisers kind of things. When I know things are going sour on the diplomatic front, because you can always tell because you get messages from the other factions. Yeah, there's some warnings typically. Yeah, it's like, okay, something's going on here. I always put a couple submarines out as pickets towards that enemy just to see if anything's coming. Like literally 14 ships in this guy's Navy. It was huge. I'd never seen that many ships in this opponent before. And my two submarines were like, oh crap. So they start pulling back. My Navy, I only had eight ships. That was it Hmm. against 14, which is a pretty big difference in this game. Actually eight ships. It was seven ships and I had an aircraft unit that I was going to use. The neat thing is that I've learned that I had three submarines in my norm, my other force. Because what happens is those submarines that are out on picket, if you're lucky, they can get away because they are invisible normally. Otherwise, they're just you just know they're going to go away. It's interesting because normally I'll have like three submarines. And what happens is the enemy will like try to charge your other units that it can see. Mm. But if it hits the submarines, the AI is like, it like hesitates and it like stops. It doesn't even attack the submarines. So that was what happened. That huge force like didn't bounce off and it just like hit a wall when it hit those three submarines. And then the rest of my Navy and my airplane were able to jump them first turn. And I pulled the subs back, of course, because they could see them at this point. I knocked out four of his ships. He only killed one of mine, which was really Good nice exchange. exchange. Second turn, I knocked out four more. He killed two of mine. So at this point, I've killed eight of his ships. He's only killed three of mine. And a lot of it is a combination of really focus fire. You have to pick units that you know you want to take out mm. and that maybe two units in combination can take well, out. And hitting your like rock, paper, scissors of it. It is that, yeah. And then the subs can come back in and the aircraft. Like at the third turn, <laughs> my aircraft was just beat up. The crews were dying and, you know, the aircraft were being shot. They were maybe 30% effectiveness or something. So I decided to throw them in. I didn't want to lose them because they were gaining experience, but I had to. Mm. And so I had taken out was 11 of his ships after three rounds. And by the end, though, his 14 were gone. I only had three left in my Navy. But it was so epic, man. I'd never had a battle that big before. So that was really, really fun. Yeah. How about you for other stuff? You've been traveling yeah, and stuff. Yeah, traveling, so, so nothing. Nothing at all. Yeah, okay. Sorry, not cool. very interesting this week. <laughs> okay, it's fine. Let's move to events then. Obviously have Vault Wars coming up in about three, four weeks. It's really getting there now. Yeah. Moving. May 14th for us. And then you have ATC yep. and I have Meltdown in July. Mm-hmm. NashCon is there. We got Siege World. We talked about that before, both in August on the same weekend. And then something that I at least found interesting was this announcement from Warhammer of the U.S. Open events mm-hmm. and all over the place, Seattle, San Diego, Chicago, Kansas City, and they're doing Sigmar, they're doing 40K, mostly 40K. It was interesting how they talked about how you don't even have to sign up, you kind of walk in. So it, it sounds like it's kind of an all-comers type of event, which is kind of interesting. The one thing that I found of the most interest, though, and I wanted you to talk about a little bit, was something they called wind path pairings. And when I first read it, I'm thinking, well, that's kind of like what we do in Sigmar in a tournament, you know, how you match people up after the first round. Hmm. And you had said there's really kind of a fundamental difference in how that works. So yeah. would you explain that to us? So imagine, and visually, the best way to think about this is a tree. Okay. Where... You start at the base and as you move up and, and the trees branch off and the higher up the tree you go, the the fewer the branches are. Normally, what you get is 
in round four, let's say you lost, mm-hmm. you know, but you've won your previous three games, you're three and one. In a lot of different circumstances, you would say, oh, well, I'll just get paired up with anybody who's three and one at that point. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter where they picked up their one. In the win path pairing, you would be paired against people who picked up their one after game four. Mm. The people who had picked up their one loss after game one, for instance, you know, maybe they played the guy who was eventually going to win the event, just bad luck, are on a lower branch, you know, with their own pathing, where they're playing Mm. people that that fit that categorization, you know, over the course of the event. You end up in, like, exactly these different groups and brackets of what happened. Based on when you won and lost. Correct. Okay. Which is a little different than what we do. Okay. Got it. Thank you. Yeah. That was my interpretation of what it is they were trying to say. Yeah. The thing that I think is what they're trying to say in terms of playing the people at your level is not necessarily a fair assessment given what Warhammer is. It's a totally dice-based game. There's a lot of randomness. It has lots to do with your matchup pairings Mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, what your army can deal with in what specific mission. Like... And at bigger events, you are more likely to not hit those things that can cause you issues. So you can get to that game five, both of you are undefeated. And I don't know that it's necessarily a, a grand statement on that, that you guys are at the same level when so many people are at four wins mm-hmm. and got there through whatever method it took to get there. Okay, right? sure. You know, you play the games that are put in front of you, you win those games, but, you know, the statement that it's, you're going to be there with the people that are at your level and, you know, look, you could have been the second best player at that event. You drew the person who was the best player And we're talking about the, the, the U.S. Open thing. Yeah. Yeah. You drew the best player at the event round one. You took your loss, but in a different coin flip dimension, you guys are playing each other game five. Right. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know. It's fine. It's one way to do it and cool because for the overwhelming majority of people, that's going to be the right thing to do. But for, you know, it being a complete overarching statement that this is for, you know, XYZ, whatever reason to get people at your level. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's correct. Fair enough. That's it for events. And it'll be interesting to see how the turnout is and post-event discussion. I'm interested to, as the circuit goes through and they use this wind path to see how people react to it in real time. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right, then we are moving on, man. We're just flying here today. So we're going to move on to Emperor Lies, and we are going to talk about the Eidneth Deepkin. Man, what are we, a team? No, no, no. We're a chemical mixture that makes chaos. We're we're a time bomb. So let's dive in here. That was... Let's start talking about allegiance abilities. We, of course, have enclaves, which are the sub-factions, and we'll talk about those in a little bit. But the first rule, which I believe is the same, right, is Forgotten Nightmares. Mm -hmm. It is frightening. I'm telling you, (laughs) having just, I think this was the first time I had played Ideneth in I don't know how long when I played an army at Rubicon. Friendly Ideneth Deepkin units can only be picked as the target of a shooting attack if they're the closest eligible target to the attacking model. Now, I didn't have a lot of shooting. Sure. But man... I can just imagine what that was like based on the way that Alex, my opponent, was playing it. One of the key elements in this is that it's model to unit. What you can do is you can actually force your opponent to have to split up their fire by having two units on either side of another (sighs) unit and the attacking model being closer to this other unit. Oh, yeah. We'll talk about it in a little bit. Sharks are really good at this. So it's drawing their fire, literally. Yeah. Okay. Where you can have them equidistant to the unit itself, when it's a model-by-model model selection process, it has to go towards the nearest target of 
that unit's model. So if you have iron drakes, for instance, a unit of 30 of them, and you place two sharks on the edges, 15 (laughs) are going to have to go one way and 15 are going to have to go the other way. Okay, do they have to split their fire like that then? or They either have to split their fire or not use their shots. Okay, got it. If that target isn't the closest deepkin unit to that model, Mm -hmm. then you can't pick anything else. Okay. That's a great rule. All right. Tides of death. I think this is pretty close to the same, right? And you're going to talk us through it. Yeah, it's basically identical. You have tides based on what battle round it is. In battle round one, it's low tide. In this battle round, friendly Aidenet Deepkin units are treated as being in cover. Okay. Yeah. Plus one save. Thank you. Okay. Battle round two, flood tide. In this battle round, friendly Aidenet Deepkin units can run and still shoot or charge in the same turn. Okay. Can't do both. Fine, but... Helps you get upfield, helps you get where you need to go. Sure. Battle round three. In this battle round, the strike first effect applies to friendly Aidenet Deepkin units. <laughs> God, that's the whole army, isn't it? Yes. Aye, as, aye, aye. as long as you are keyworded Aidenet Deepkin. Yeah, yep. sure. Battle round four. In this battle round, friendly Aidenet Deepkin units can retreat and still shoot or charge in the same turn. Aye. Can't do both, but. Crazy. You know, after your big battle round three, where you've hopefully done tons and tons of damage this lets you get out and go where it needs to go Battle around five repeat the four tides of death step starting with low tide so in this instance you would end on low tide now we do have abilities and we're going to talk about them to manipulate these tides to a certain extent you can never really full-on change like the order processing it always Mm -hmm. moves up or down it's just where you start that can change all right cool and then there are other rules where you can as if you had the ability of a different tide while in a tide, but that tide remains. We'll explain it. We'll get to it. But okay. This is the order in the processing, and there are going to be minimal exceptions. Okay. Fair enough. All right. The next thing we have for an RE-wide rule is Ishrin rituals. Yep. You had rituals oh. before. I much prefer the way that this was handled. It's more relevant. It's more appropriate. It's much easier to manage. Okay. So in the first battle round, after the players have received their starting command points, but before the start of the first turn, if your army includes any Ishrin units, which are your spellcasters, essentially. And your priests, yeah. Your priests. You can pick one of the following Ishrin rituals to influence the Aether Sea during the battle. So the first one is Ritual of the Creeping Mists. Friendly Aidenithikin units that are affected by the low tide ability cannot be picked as the target of a shooting attack unless the attacking model is within 12 inches of that model. Of that unit. Of that unit. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Cool. That's crazy, man. Immunity to shooting is pretty good. It has value. You have to keep in mind that you're going to have to pick and choose your rituals. There is an ability where you can pick multiples. Mm -hmm. And as we walk through them, you'll see that there's one ritual per tide ability. And you're going to make the decisions largely based on what your army does. But this is a good one to have in your pocket where you know if you are playing an alpha heavy shooting army that wants to deal with you at range you already have a good rule for dealing with them now you have an even better one that makes sense but remember it's only affecting during the low tide so all they have to do is wait out the one turn (laughs) right and you have to hope that you can close the distance in that period of time to make the most of what it is you just did right makes sense how about the second one? So the Ritual of the Surging Stream, you add one to run and charge rolls for friendly Aidenet Deepkin units that are affected by the Flood Tide ability. And remember, this is the, uh, you can run and shoot or charge. Mm-hmm. Adding one to the two rolls that you're primarily going to be using in that battle round, not a bad thing. No, not at all. 
Then we have Ritual of Deep Sight. I really like this one. And I experienced this one firsthand. I say I like it. I didn't like it being on the receiving end. (laughs) Friendly Namarty units, which are your thralls and your reavers. Units that are affected by high tide, so that'd be battle round three, have a ward of five up. Pretty good. The only issue is is you have to get to battle round three. (laughs) Yeah. With your very squishy units, mm-hmm. you because know, they are fragile, yes. and then you get your five up ward, which is good, but you have to have gotten them yeah, there. Right, sure. Makes sense. How about the last one then? The Ritual of the Spiteful Riptide. Before friendly Eidnet Deepkin unit is affected by the Ebb Tide ability retreats, roll a dice for each enemy unit within three inches of that unit. On a four up, that enemy unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. Meh, no. Yeah. And I really don't see a reason to. Do you have a preference of these four? Which one do you like the best if you were playing Ideneth? So the first three I really like, and I can define situations either from opponent army composition or just what that mission calls for. Okay. I think your most versatile one is going to be number two, adding one to the run and charge rolls. Sure. Number three, the rituals of deep sight can be really good. There are things that act in and around high tide that you know, make sense. Sure, you're also getting first strike that round and... Yep. Those kind of things, sure. But you have to get there. That's right. the only thing with that yeah. one. Yeah. And then the Ritual of the Creeping Mist is good. If you're playing against a really shooting heavy army that's going to be able to get past your Forgotten Nightmares mm-hmm. abilities. Okay. Sentinels. Um, <laughs> sure. You know, so. Okay. All right. Coolio. I think we haven't done this the last book or two where we were before going to the heroes, then coming back to the enhancements to kind of put things in context. So we're going to go back to doing that and we're going to go right to the heroes in this particular book. Brandon, why don't you start us off? First ups are your Eidolons. Yeah. And the first of which is the Aspect of the Storms. This is your combat Eidolon. Mm-hmm. 12-inch move, 3-up save, bravery 10, 12 wounds. Mm-hmm. Have three combat profiles. The Spear of Repressed Fury, which is a 2-inch range, 4 attacks, 3s to hit, 2s to wound, rend 2, 2 damage. That's very respectable, yeah. Yeah, the Kroll Hook, which is 1-inch range, 4 attacks, 3s by 2s, rend 1, damage 2. Mm-hmm. And then the sharp fangs from their companions, which is three inch range, two d six attacks, fours and fours, no rend damage one. When he told me about that, he said the fish are gonna bite you. I'm like, yeah, right. And then he rolled like an eight, you know, on the two d six. I'm like, well, that's a lot of attacks, man. It's a few. Yeah, Eidolons can fly. Yep, which is not bad. They have a five up ward save oh. with their storm shoal ability. Three up, five up. That's really powerful. That's great. Yeah, well, and adding insult to injury, crashing upon the foe, you can heal up to D3 wounds allocated to this unit after it makes a charge move. This unit can retreat and still charge in the same turn, so you're going to be healing a lot. And then you add one to the attacks and damage characteristics of the Spear of Repressed Fury, which brings it up to five attacks at damage three if it made a charge move in the same turn. That's really good. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, not bad. Drenched with hate, add one to wound rolls for attacks made with melee weapons by friendly Aiden at Deepkin units, excluding mm. mounts that are wholly within 12 inches of any friendly units with this ability. <sighs> He's already wounding on a two, and this would bring it up to a, a one in yeah. case you happen to hand out a minus one to wound to, yeah. to the Eidolon. And then the last rule pulled into the depths at the start of the combat phase, you can pick one enemy hero with a wound's characteristic of eight or less that is within three inches of this unit. Add one to hit and wound rolls for attacks that made by this unit that target that hero in that phase. Okay, cool. All right, nice. Good character. He's got the totem keyword, so handing out command abilities at 18 inches away from them, whether or not they're your uh, general is pretty respectable. Great. Okay, and then we have the Eidolon of the aspect of the sea. Yep. And the, the base stats are the same. 12-inch move, 12 wounds, 3-up save, 
10 bravery has a shooting attack which is 12 inches it's the blast of abyssal energy 12 inches d3 attacks three by three minus two and then two damage so not bad and then we have three melee weapons including the sharp fangs from the fishes again that's the same we have a psi trident two inches three attacks three by threes minus two rend two damage again really nice the deep sea scepter one inch two attacks three by fours minus one one damage well, you would expect that this is a magic user as opposed to a warrior, so... It's not get. bad. It's not a unit that you're going to throw into the thick <laughs> of combat, but... Not bad. And yeah. this is a two-cast, two-unbind wizard. Very nice. It flies. It has a five-up ward. Dormant energies, you can reroll casting, dispelling, and unbinding rolls for this unit. That was so good. When he first did that, it was like, everything? He goes, yeah, I get to reroll everything. It's like, wow, that was was really good. If this unit successfully casts any spells in your hero phase, you can heal up the D3 wounds allocated to this unit at the end of that phase. Great. They both have that ability. That's very good. Yeah, in some way, shape, or form. Yes. They, they have the ability to heal out of phase, which is nice. Yep. Tranquility of the Abyss. Friendly Deepkin units, wholly within 18, have a bravery characteristic of 10. Very good. Cloying Sea Mists, that one has a casting value of 6, range of 12, so pretty short range. If cast, pick one Deepkin unit or one enemy unit within range, invisible of the caster. If you pick a friendly Deepkin unit, you heal D3 wounds. If you pick an enemy, they suffer D3 mortals. Yeah. That's fine. A you little, can also pick yourself to heal. You could heal twice then. 2d3. Theoretically, yeah, in a turn. And then you have Tsunami of Terror. is a spell that has a casting value of 7, range of 12 again. You can pick up to d3 enemy units within range visible to caster. Subtract one from save rolls for attacks made with melee weapons that target that unit. It's really good, too. So this is where I'll jump in on my interpretation of some rules queries okay the tsunami of terror i have received the question if you pick the same unit multiple times with that d3 do you get multiple minus ones their save rolls my ruling absent an faq is no Mm -hmm. it doesn't say for each time you select a unit it just says if that unit has been selected as the target for the spell minus one to save doesn't matter that you picked it a bunch of the same times you can it's still minus one right okay that's the way i read it And this Eidolon is not a totem like the other one. So still 12 inches. All right. We are going to continue now with the High King. And why don't you talk to us about Volturnos? Yeah. So Volturnos is one of the two named characters in this book. Okay. And he is the High King of the Deepkin. The 14-inch move, 3-up save, bravery 10, and 8 wounds. He is a war master. So... If he's included in your army, he is treated as a general, even if he is not picked to be the general in your Deepkin army. He has the Astra Solus, which is a one-inch range. Four attacks, threes by threes, rend two, damage three. Pretty good. Fangs and talons of his deep mare, two-inch range, three attacks, threes and threes, rend one, damage d3. And then the lash and tail, which is two-inch range, three attacks, threes and threes, no rend, damage two. He can fly. And, you know, the mounts attacks are the fangs and talons and lashing tails. He has Saleth, the High King's shield. Each time this unit is affected by a spell or the abilities of an endless spell, you can mm. roll a dice. Mm. And on a three-up, you ignore the effect of that spell or the effects of that endless spell ability on this unit. That is so good, man. Most of them are like a four-up that you see. Four-up, five-up, yeah, yeah. six-up, yeah. Three-up, man. Just forget Pretty reliable. It. Use your spells somewhere else, but don't waste some here. Yeah. Uh, oh, my God. Go ahead. And then, first among the Achilleans, add one to hit rolls for attacks made with melee weapons by friendly Achillean units, excluding the mounts, wholly within 12 inches of that unit. So Achilleans are your eels and your sharks 
and your Leviathan. So mm. everything that's not Namardi are Achilleans. Yeah. The Deep Mare Horn, after this unit makes a charge move, you can pick one enemy unit within one inch of this unit and roll a dice. On a two up, that enemy unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. Impact hits, fine. Yeah. And then his command ability, the Supreme Lord of Tides, which isn't really a command ability, it's just an ability, but it's a vague, slight difference. <laughs> Okay. Once per battle at the start of the combat phase, you can pick up to three different friendly Aidenath Deepkin units that are affected by the high tide ability from the Tides of Death table. Keep this interaction in mind, so have to be affected by high tide. And are holy within 12 inches of this unit, add one to the attacks characteristics of melee weapons used by the units you picked until the uh, end of that phase. So that's the turn you're going to be striking first. And it's- that could be any Aidenath, not just... Achilleans. No. So any three Aideneth units that are wholly right. within 12 inches of him right. and affected by high tide. Okay, yeah. All right. Okay. So it can be anybody. All right. Hold that thought in your mind for one more war scroll. Okay. Okay. All right. We'll do that. All right. So, Dan, do you want to talk about... Yeah, the king. Yes. Man. And let's see if you can figure out, you know, the shenanigans that are... Okay. Uh, that might be yeah, happening. That, that we're going to be building around here. I do want a, a little commentary first. Both this Achillean king is just beastie, man. When I played in that narrative event at Adepticon, and then again when I played at Rubicon, this guy just... Man, he is just punchy. Yep. Oh my God, he kept rolling dice. And I'm like, are you going to stop? He's like, oh, I roll five here. Oh, I roll another three, another three. I'm like, come on, man. Should I just take a seat? Like there was a lot of attacks coming out of this guy. So anyway, he's 14 inch move, seven wounds as opposed to eight for Volturnus. Three up save and 10 bravery. He can make a choice between a pole arm and a falchion or a great sword and a falchion. So the three things that he will always have is his falchion, the fangs, and the lashing tails he'll get all those the bladed pole arm is two inches three attacks three by twos wow minus two rend two damage and then the great sword is one inch but five attacks get a little bit more three by threes minus one rend two damage the falchion is one inch three attacks three by threes no rend one damage then you get the fangs and talons those are the same and the lashing tail is the same Mm -hmm. as it was for volturnus he is a Achillean Paragon, you add one to hit rolls for attacks made with melee weapons by friendly Achillean units, wholly within nine inches of this unit. And that's excluding mounts, it says. Yep. So, all right. Yeah, so that's the difference between like your Deep Mare here, your Eels. Stuff that has that mount categorization. Sure. Then the Deep Mare Horn is the same. Its impact hits. Wave Rider, this unit's bladed pole arm has a rend characteristic of minus three and a damage characteristic of three if it made a charge move. Holy mutt. All right. Now we have Lord of Tides, which is... It's that subtle difference Mm -hmm. that you're talking about. So once per battle, at the end of your charge phase, you can pick up the D3 different Aideneth Deep Kitten units that are wholly within 12 inches of the units with this ability, this, this unit. If you do so, until the end of that turn, the units you picked are affected by the High Tide ability from the Tides of Death table in addition to any other abilities from the Tides of Death table they are affected by. So what I'm seeing here is... You do this, you can pick a turn that's not Battle Round 3. Correct. And you can do this Lords of Tides. Now that gives Volturnus that activates his Supreme Lord of Tides, right? Correct. Okay. That's really spooky. You could do this for... Oh, it's once per battle, so you can't do it for two turns. So the Achillean King, you can take multiples, presently as written... Prior to any FAQ, you can take multiple Achillean Kings and you can trigger this ability in multiple turns. Ugh. Once per Achillean King. Right. And selecting D3 units. Volturnos then can pick one of those multiple turns and trigger 
this when it is most advantageous to this. Now, it requires you to take at least one king and Volturnos to do this out of phase, out of sequence. And the kings are 250 a piece. Right. So they're not cheap. This no. isn't a small investment that you're going to be making. You're going right. to be spending over a quarter of your army in two models. Mm-hmm. But it means you could get strike first two turns in a row. Or three. Or three, on depending on kings. how you do it. Yeah. Right. Wow. It's pretty crazy, man. It's, it's good. Yeah. One of the things that you can do with that, though, is you can also take the Namardi High Tide Ritual mm-hmm. and have them affected by the ward save for multiple turns straight. Yep. That's what you can do with the king. Jeez. Okay. Crazy stuff. Yeah. And again, they're both super punchy. I mean, you could have this unit get first strike. Correct, if you yeah. wanted to. Right. Yes. Okay. So now we're going to talk about the priests and the wizards. The oh. first one is the Tidecaster. Why don't you go over that one for us? The Ishran Tidecaster is a six-inch move, four-up save, bravery eight, five wounds. These are all your little tiny foot heroes. Mm-hmm. They have the Pelagic Staff, one-inch range, two attacks, fours by threes, rend one, damage two. And the Vicious Bite from their Spirit Guardian, one-inch range, two attacks, threes by fours, no rend, damage one. Woohoo. One cast, one unbind wizard, has a ward save of a five-up. Nice. The Master of the Ether Sea, if any units with this ability are part of your army, you can pick two different rituals to influence the Aether Sea during the battle instead of one. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's really good. It's very good. So that means that you can pick the one that you're always going to pick, whether that's high tide or shooting or the add one to run in charge. I think the add one to run in charge is one that you always take, especially okay. if you've got a tide caster. And then okay. you pick whatever is going to work for you otherwise. Quite good. Then Riptide is a casting value of a 7 and a range of 18 inches. If cast, pick one enemy unit within range, invisible to the caster. The unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. In addition, subtract one from hit rolls for attacks made by that unit until your next hero phase. Excellent. That's great. Just a solid unit to have. Yeah, absolutely. Just good. Now, all of these Ishrans we're going to talk about, heroes, all have the same profile in terms of movement, wounds, saves, all that. Okay, so we're going to go to Lotan. He's the other named character, Mm -hmm. I believe, in this book. And he's the Warden of Soul Ledgers. He is the octopus guy, for those who are familiar with the model or aren't. His first thing he's got is Catalog of Souls. Add one to wound rolls for attacks made with melee weapons by friendly Iden to Thiepkin units, wholly within 12 inches of this unit. Oh my god, Brendan, he had 20 thralls, and he had Lotan sitting back there. It was truly ugly. Good. To be on the receiving end of that. Gifts of the Depths. A, he has a ward save, a course of five up. And then Fount of Willpower. Once per battle, if this unit is on the battlefield at the start of your hero phase, you can pick one ritual from the Ishran Rituals table and one friendly Aden the Deepkin unit within 12 inches, wholly within 12 inches, until your next hero phase. The unit you picked is affected by the ritual in addition to any others. It is affected by... Holy crap. You're picking these heroes. You can have rituals almost every turn. Yes. This is actually how you get your Namardi delivered until battle round three. Okay. And that is making sure that the one super unit that you're going to be dealing with has a ward save for three straight turns. Sure. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. Well, as much sense as it can make. Yeah. That's... But Very powerful. the thing with this one is, is this is until your next hero phase. So if you get doubled, mm. this remains active. This is quite good. Yep. Where the high tide from the king is only in the combat phase. Mm-hmm. That lasts for such a limited period of time. Lotan went from being garbage <laughs> to really good. To excellent. Yeah. 
Great. All right. How about the Soul Scryer then? That's the next one. Yeah. So the Soul Scryer has the priest keyword. That's important to note for selecting of enhancements, but has a missile weapon of the spiked jaws, 12 inch range, eight attacks, twos by fours, rend one, damage one. And that is Finger Claw, which is a one inch range, three attacks, threes by threes, no rend, damage one. Not a character you're going to be looking to get into, <laughs> into a fight with. Of course. Thankfully, they have a five up ward save. But more importantly, they are the finder of ways. During deployments, instead of setting up this unit on the battlefield, you can place it to one side and say it is traveling the Aether Sea in reserve. If you do so, when you would set up a different Aideneth Deepkin unit during deployment, you can say that it's joining this unit, traveling to the Aether Sea as a reserve unit. Up to two units can join in this way at the end of your movement. You can set it up wholly within six inches of the battlefield, more than nine from all enemy units. If you do so, set up all enemy units, uh, set up all of the units that join this unit, wholly within nine inches of this unit, and more than nine inches from all enemy units. Okay. Teleport shenanigans here. Yeah. It's good. The one thing that he lost is the plus three to charge, which mm. I don't think anybody but Deepkin players are upset about. Right. <laughs> uh, that was of course not. really, 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 really good. And this brings it into line with, you know, just kind of other okay. things that have that ability. Just as a point of reference, you talked about how good Lotan was. He's actually the cheapest of the four, too, at only 115 versus 150 or 120 for the other. So kind of interesting that he comes in at that Gotta price. Gotta move these Lotan models. Yeah. <laughs> There you go. That's what it really is. He, he has been <laughs> underselling for years. I have somehow ended up with three of them and given two away. <laughs> okay. The next one is Soul Render. Same profile. We have the Lure Light. Now, this is the guy who brings models back. So he's the Guardian of Souls equivalent from Night Haunt. At the end of the battle shock phase, you can pick one friendly Namarty unit wholly within 18 inches of this unit and return up to D3 slain models. You can return up to three slain models to that unit and instead, if any enemy models were slain by attacks made with this unit's talon hook in the same turn. The same unit cannot be affected by the lure light ability more than once per turn unless, and we'll talk about that yeah. later. The talon hook is two inch range, four attacks, three by threes, minus one, two damage. It's respectable. So reliable. Yep. And then we have the serrated bill, which is the little fish Companion, guy. Yeah. And three inch, wow, three inch range. That's good. Three attacks, three by threes, minus one and one. Hangman's not. Once per battle, at the end of the combat phase, you can pick one enemy model that has a wounds characteristic of seven or less, does not have a mount, is within three inches of this unit. Roll 2d6. If the roll is greater than the model's wounds characteristic, it is slain. Okay, very situational, but hey. The you know thing what? that you can do with that is you can use it to break a unit's coherency because this is mm. at the end of the combat phase, so all the pylons oh, are done, and yes. you can guarantee a pretty miserable battle shock phase for your opponent. Okay, and this unit has a 5 up ward, so as they all do. Yeah. Coolio. One more, Dan. The Achillean Thrallmaster. Oh, yeah, yeah. So let's talk about him because he's amazing. He is super good. He is crazy looking at these rules. Six-inch move, four-up save, bravery seven. So he's a little bit different. Five wounds. He has the esoteric weapons, which are one-inch range, five attacks, threes and threes, rend one, damage two, and the vicious bite from his snapjaw eel. One-inch range, two attacks, threes by fours, no rend, damage one. He has the rule of the Achillean fighting stance. At the start of the combat phase, you must pick one of the following fighting stances for this unit to use. Each effect lasts until the end of that phase. You have the Way of the Depths. You can reroll hit rolls of one for attacks made with melee weapons by this unit and friendly Namardi units, wholly within 12 inches of now, this unit. Okay, melee weapons. Okay, got it. Go ahead. Yep. So 
pretty cool. Reroll hit rolls of one. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll find that thralls can pretty reliably get to hitting on twos. So, yep. you know, whatever. If the unmodified hit roll for an attack, or sorry, way of the riptide, if an unmodified hit roll for an attack made with a melee weapon by this unit or a friendly Namardi unit wholly within 12 inches of this unit is a six, that attack scores two hits on the target instead of one. Make a wound roll and save roll for each hit. And then way of the vortex, subtract one from wound rolls for attacks that target this unit and friendly Namardi units, wholly within 12 inches of this unit. Okay. Those are some pretty nice buffs, man. And it's nice that you have that flexibility at the start of each combat phase. That's right. It's yours or theirs. Yes. Yeah, which is really, really good. You're going to pick the thing that is going to be most helpful to that unit in that turn, in that way, to just get the job done. Sure. Either to have them more resilient or have them punch more, whatever it is. Yeah, great stuff. Yeah. Higher level of reliability, you need more attacks, or you know, you need to stick around. Now, how do you rate this warband? The Ethlane's ill-fated and soul raid and all that stuff. Oh, versus some of the other ones that we've yeah. come across and seen. Yeah. It's a soul render. Cool, fine, yeah, right. whatever. It's slightly worse from a combat perspective. Your eel is just marginally better. The soul net is the same as the hangman's knot. And then you have the bodyguard, so they're whatever. For 210 points, pass. Mm -hmm. A lot of other things to do. Yeah. Yeah. I'll spend those points elsewhere because that's one of the elements of this book is everything's a little expensive. Now, a lot of your stuff is quite good, but you have to spend your points judiciously. You're not going to have a lot of just, I can throw this unit in, like, kind of stuff. It's You're going to be taking what you have to take. Sure. And the points are going to run out on you pretty quick. Okay. Let's talk enhancements. Yeah. And the first one is the trade of the Achilleans. So this is an Achillean hero. Which did you take? So listeners, just as a preamble here. So most of these are choices of three, as we usually do. We'll pick one of them uh, for each of those. There's one where we're going to pick a couple, which is the lores, uh, spell lores, because there's four of those. But otherwise, we're going to each pick one. So what do you got for the traits of the Achilleans? I think there's really only one Okay. that I like. And that is the Lord of Storm and Sea. Yep. Do not take Battleshock tests for friendly I deep can units wholly within 12 inches of this general. I think the other two are too niche. Got it. Agreed. Okay. Well, um, that was easy. That was easy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when did the same one really pick one? It makes it quick. So the next one is Traits of the Ishran. And this is Ishran Heroes. So my choice of the three was Teachings of the Tur Scroll. Okay. If this general is on the battlefield at the start of the first battle round, before priority is determined, you can declare that the Tides of Death table will be reversed for your army. If you do so, the Ebb Tide ability applies in the first round, High Tide ability in the second round, Flood in the third, Low Tide in the fourth. For the fifth battle round, the four Tides of Death are repeated in this this order starting with ebb tide i just like that brendan that you can decide based on who you see across the table from you if you need that high tide a turn early uh, because that's what you're getting here you're getting it in a second battle round instead of third correct yes yeah so that's pretty powerful i think it comes with one sizable downside in that your first turn is retreat and charge yes now the backside of that is your turn five is retreat and charge which isn't a bad thing could be very valuable sure yeah so flipping that Comes with some benefits, comes with some penalties. Not the worst thing. How about you? That's the same. Okay. The other two in the Ishrid Heroes, I think, are just really whatever. Yeah. The only one from a compelling traits perspective is the Eidolon one. Okay. I think the one that I like out of here is Ancient Pride. If the unmodified hit roll for an attack made with a melee weapon that targets this general is a one or a two, that attack fails and the attack sequence ends. Yeah. Wow. 
This reminds me of, I think it's transhuman physiology in the Space Marine Codexes. Okay. Where that's a, you can spend like a, whatever the CP equivalent is in 40K. And basically it means that if you're hit on a one through three, you ignore it. Kind of, it's the same kind of thing, but it's incredibly powerful, especially for an Eidolon general. Man, that's one third of those attacks just go away. Yeah. <laughs> really, really good stuff. No rerolls, no nothing. It's unmodified. Well, so I mean, uh, you do get to make your rerolls oh. to try and get out of that. Oh, you do. Okay. Yes. But if, even if you're hitting on twos, you still fail. Right. It forces your opponent potentially out of an odd attack that they'd want to spend. Mm. Or if they're already something that is enjoying the buffs of plus one to hit, they lose it. Sure. And, you know, that's yep. pretty all right. Yeah, pretty great. Same here, man. This is going to be short week because <laughs> we're picking all the same ones. At least we're thinking about these. The next one is artifacts of power. So now we're in artifacts instead of command traits. And we're going to start with the Achillean hero again. I picked the armor of uh, Sithae. If the unmodified hit roll for an attack that targets the bearer is six, all effects that would be triggered by that roll are ignored. I just think of, you know, how many books and how many armies have special effects on sixes. And a lot of them are exploding type of things where you get the two hits instead of one if you roll a six. That all just goes away and they're just hits. They get no other benefit from it. Again, I really like that if you're trying to give some more resilience to your big guy. Yeah, and now it's Achillean specifically, so that's your mm-hmm. king and your thrallmaster, sure. which is good, but it's limited in terms of the number of units that can take this. Sure. For point of interest, I'll take the potion of Hateful Frenzy. Once yeah. per battle at the start of your hero phase, you can say the bearer will drink this potion. If you do so until the end of that turn, add one to hit rolls and wound rolls for attacks made by the bearer. Add one to the attacks characteristics of, of the bearer's melee weapons, and add one to run rolls and charge rolls for the bearer. However, at the start of the next hero phase, the bearer suffers D3 mortal wounds and cannot pile it until the end of that turn. Again, I'm just thinking that nightmare profile for the Achillean King. Like, this would just make him a freaking blender. Yeah. Oh, my god. Send gosh. him out on his own, do his oh. own thing, oh. get the job done. God, he could just rip. That is amazing. Now, that would be... Something that you would maybe pair with, jumping back to command traits, Unstoppable Fury, Mm -hmm. which is while this general is affected by the high tide ability from the Tides of Death, for each enemy unit within three inches of them during the combat phase, (laughs) add two to the attacks characteristics of their melee weapons until the end of that phase. (laughs) That is nuts, dude. So you could create this like uh, heat-seeking king. Oh, my God. Which I mean, you're talking about he would have... Five and nine is 14 and six, had like 20 attacks. Well, remember the command traits can't affect mounts. Oh, right. So but it would still be 10 attacks. You can make this automatic because the king can turn units into being under the uh, the use of high tide. Yes. Which would trigger the unstoppable fury. Oh, man. Wow. Jeez. Like... There's some sneaky little things you can do in this book. So the Potion of Hateful Frenzy and Unstoppable Fury on a king, which can turn yourself to high tide out of phase. It's quite... Man, that's something. Yeah, it it is definitely something. That's crazy. All right, let's move on to Ishran artifacts now. But what did you pick for this? I was kind of torn between two of them. Yeah, so I think this is where we start getting into into better ones. The first of which I really like is the Dritch Leech. Mm -hmm. Subtract one from casting rolls, unbinding rolls, and dispelling rolls for enemy wizards within 18 inches of the bearer. This ability has no effect on item deep kid units. Yep, very good. Make life um, difficult. Now, I had a hard time between that one, the Dritch Leech, and the Brain Barnacles. I just like the the whole 
brain particle mechanic. So again, as a point of interest, that's the one I picked. Once per battle at the start of your hero phase, and it is once per battle, you can pick an enemy hero within 12 inches of the bearer and roll 2d6. If the roll in inches is equal to or greater than the distance between the bearer and the enemy hero, subtract one from hit and wound rolls for that enemy hero for the rest of the battle. It's pretty good. Yeah. Now you got to get them in close to have a decent chance, you know, within five, six inches maybe. But if that goes off, that's the rest of the battle, man. And yeah, it's really good. It can, can be quite painful. Yeah, so good stuff there. So that's some good artifacts. The next one is the Eidolon hero. So these are the big wavy people. Yeah. I'm glad that's the tone of your reaction. So you have your five board saved, so the Amulet of Destiny isn't something that's on the table for you. Mm-mm. The Arcane Tome is something that I think you're likely to take with the Eidolon. Mm-hmm. Or the Arcane Tome on the... Storm to get flaming weapon. Sure. Or the Manticore vial for the plus one to wound, but yeah. it doesn't matter because you're already a two up. Yep. If I have to pick out of this. <laughs> yes. You got to pick one. <laughs> I guess I'll take the Whirl Shell. Yep. Which is, again, just kind of a worse version of the command uh, trait that you could take. Mm-hmm. So once per battle at the start of the combat phase, you could say that the bear will unleash the power of the whirl shell if you do so until the end of that phase. If the unmodified hit roll for an attack made with a melee weapon that targets the bears a one or a two, the attack fails, the attack sequence ends. That is exactly what that other artifact you can did. just take that command trait yeah. because the other right. two, I think, yep. are just garbage. I mean, this is redundant even, that one, as opposed to Ancient Pride where you have it all the time. Right. So you can have two Eidolons, you have one with that, and then the other one with this, and you can have just a really frustrating set of choices for your opponent to have to deal with. Yep. Agreed. So that is it for Eidolon heroes. Oh, you're picking the same thing? Yeah, because they're junk. I mean, the Bioshock shell is once per battle. Uh, You're rolling some dice to beat bravery. Of a hero, specifically. Yeah, and you're giving them strike last, the enemy strike last. Well, if you're playing this army right, you're probably going to be striking first at least a couple of turns anyway, right? So giving them strike last doesn't really do anything because you're already striking first. Right. Yeah. The, the Kraken Tooth is cool. It's a Hail Mary. Once in a blue moon, you're going to do something really cool. Most of the time, you're going to do D3 mortal wounds. Bear suffers D3. Target suffers D3. It's a hand of dust that doesn't blow up models. You know, <laughs> it's one or the other, 50%. The mount traits, those are kind of interesting, I think. Here's a fun thing. Technically, as written, no one can take a mount trait. Mm, Would you like to know why? Yes, I would love to. Because the English language is silly. So first off, the way it reads is you can pick one Deep Mare and one Leviathan in your army to have one of the following mount traits. Okay. As written, you have to have a Deep Mare and a Leviathan to take any mount traits. Mm. Technically, 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 nothing has the Deep Mare keyword. Therefore, nothing can have a mount trait. Technically, technically. Now... As a TO, you're going to rule if somebody has an Achillean king, that would count as a deep mare. Correct. Okay, yeah, yeah. All and right. if you don't have a Leviathan, your deep mare can get a, a mount trait. And if you don't have a king, your Leviathan can get a mount trait. Sure, okay. But if you wanted to sit here and, you know, and split hairs in the yeah. most insane way possible. It's impossible. That's how the sentence reads. Okay, coolio. Word, so how- words are stupid and mean nothing. <laughs> All right, so how about the deep mare ones? What are you thinking there? 
probably the void chill darkness. Subtract one from hit rolls for mm-hmm. attacks made by enemy units that are within three inches of this unit. Yep. You're on the same page? Yeah, I'm and I'm just thinking again how really cool the ancient pride is, where the one or a twos, the attack fail. Now you can run up the void chill darkness next to the Eidolon and get this to trigger because it's subtract one from hit rolls for attacks made by enemy units that are within three inches of this unit. Mm. So if for some reason they were to target the Eidolon. Okay, cool. so if an enemy unit is within three inches of the Eidolon and the king, you could trigger this. Yes. For both units. For then. both units. Right. So you could spread out things that fail regularly, but what you're doing then is you're moving something that is maybe they would want to use an odd attack to get to the two up, mm-hmm. you know, but Obviously, they're not going to do that now, now that, you know, they're next to an Eidolon that where their ones and twos failed. So they're not going to spend that point there. You sure. move this deep mare next to them and they go, am I really going to spend a point to get to back to a three up to hit? Mm-hmm. Or am I going to leave this here? Or, you know, you space it out in multiple places over the course of the battlefield. Your Eidolon, which dumps ones and twos, your deep mare, which drops one to hit. And then your second Eidolon with the Whirl Shell that is also going to, oh, you know, God. once per battle drop out the ones and twos. So. Wow. It's something, right? Like yeah. it's you can make the enemy army feel like they got unplugged, yeah. like from the wall, right? Where's my power? Nothing here. Same one for you, yeah. The, yeah. the void chill darkness. Okay. So how about the Levidons? Quite the difference. Where I think all three are good. Yes. I think you could look at all three of them and place merits to all of them. Okay. I'm a fan of the Denizens of the Dark Depths. Subtract one from wound mm-hmm. rolls for attacks made with melee weapons that target this unit that have a damage characteristic of one, mm-hmm. which really means that I'm going to be taking the turtle and throwing it into. You know, just a bunch of weird, chaffy stuff. I'm not going to mm-hmm. throw it into the thickest of the fighting. Sure. I'm going to put it into stuff that doesn't even want to be there and now really can't do anything about it. Okay. And I take Ancient, which is the Ren characteristic of a weapon used for an attack that targets this unit. If it's minus one, it's nothing. So it makes Ren one no rend. Which, again, if you charge into a unit, Brendan, that has a lot of minus one rend, it all goes away. Yeah. The last one, Reverberating Carapace. Yeah. You increase the Void Drum's range from 12 to 15. When we mm-hmm. go to talk about the Leviathan, that's also quite good. Yes. All three of these are good choices. Great. Even though we can't take any of them, technically. Yeah, right. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> okay. Glad you got it. So let's finish up the Spell Lures. We'll take a quick break, and then we'll be back. So Spell Lures... Let- we're going to pick two apiece, so why don't you go first with this? First one is Steed of Tides, that I quite like. Casting value of a five, range mm-hmm. of six inches. Pick one friendly hero that is not a monster within the range of the caster. Remove the hero from the battlefield and set it up again on the battlefield more than nine inches from all enemy units. Unit set up in this ability cannot move in the following movement phase. One of the things that I really like with this is late game teleports to go steal objectives. Yeah. Late game sending a unit across the table for Savage Spearhead, or sending a hero to a place that's you want to you use it to support something that came in like from Deep Strike or something like okay. that. You know, like the Tidecaster, not the Tidecaster, the Soul Scryer okay. is over there. And there's really a third unit you want over there, but you really couldn't afford to take it with you. Sure. So send it over there, get that done, be very annoying. Okay. The first one that I like is the Arcane Corrasion, which is like corrosion. Mm-hmm. Arcane Corrasion is a spell that has a casting value of 6, range of 12. If cast, pick one enemy unit within range of visible a caster. Worsen the rend characteristic of that unit's melee weapons by one until your next hero phase. Minus one to somebody's rend is not bad. Worsening rend is very, very Because it's the whole profile. It's not yep. just one melee weapon. Yep. 
of that unit's melee weapons. Yep. yep. So the second one I really like is Countercurrent. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Casting value of a six and range 18 inches. Pick one enemy unit within range invisible to caster. Until your next hero phase, have the run rolls and charge rolls for that unit. As long as you can make sure that you're going to be seven inches away, that opponent isn't going to be able to get to you. Which is great, because there's so many armies that are so fast now that get across the board so quickly. Yeah, you can make redeploy just an absolutely brutal thing that happens. Yeah, it's kind of like having shackles, you know, kind of like that. So that's spell lores. So that's all of the enhancements. And we're going to take a break, as we just said, and we're going to come back with Enclaves. Here's to five miserable months on the wagon and all the irreparable harm that it's caused me. Okay, it's time to hit those sub-factions. So why don't you talk about the first one for us? We got six. So even before that, right? So oh, the, yeah, yeah. You don't have to pick any of the enclaves if you don't want to. Right. I don't see any reason why you wouldn't want to. Mm-hmm. They've made some pretty interesting changes to the six sub-factions. Obviously, mm-hmm. they're all in the simplified version of the 3.0 books. They will share some familiarity with what you saw before, but they are fundamentally different and i think most of them are going to warrant your consideration and most of them as you read through them are focused on a particular build in terms of units or whatever else exactly okay yeah yep. first up is iron rack this is the keyword that volturnos has so this is the quote-unquote main faction of Ainatipkin. Mm-hmm. legacy of glory you can carry out this heroic action with a friendly iron rack achillean hero instead of any other heroic actions you can carry out with that hero if you do so, pick one friendly Iron Rack Achillean unit wholly within 12 inches of that hero. Until the end of that turn, you can choose for that unit to be affected by either the Flood Tide or Ebb Tide ability from the Tides mm-hmm. of Death table, in addition to any other abilities from the Tides of Death table that are affected by. That's pretty good. You're stacking Tides of Death is what you're doing here. Right. Well, it gives you the ability to do run and charge early or retreat and charge later or run and charge later, right? You know, if that's, if that's what you want. <laughs> right. Like if you get tied up into a, a combat that isn't advantageous to you, you can sit there and say, well, I'm going to give that unit retreat and charge mm-hmm. so that I can get them to where they need to go. Like if you get pinned down into a combat phase in your high tide where you get some benefits off the charge, it's time to get out of here. That's pretty cool. Cool, yeah. All right. Next one is Nautilar, and Crushing Assault is the rule. You can carry out this monstrous rampage with a friendly Nautilar Leviathan. So this is the one if you're taking giant turtles. Instead of any other monstrous rampage, you can carry out with that Leviathan. If you do so, change the rend characteristic of that Leviathan's blah, 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 Leviathan's massive side fins and crushing jaws to minus three until the end of the next combat phase. So that's pretty good. This is the sub-faction that gives you Battleline Leviathans. Mm-hmm. So you know, no surprise that they're tied together okay. here. Yep. Take three and add some stuff, man. There's your army. Yeah. <laughs> God. If you want a quick a quick Aydin army, that's the one to take, man. Relatively inexpensive. <laughs> you get yourself a king and three turtles. and You're good to rock. Yeah. yeah. There's... <laughs> You're not going to have to take much else. Sounds like fun. All right. How about Morphan? So Morphan is the Namardi one. Soul Magic Adepts. If the Lure Light ability of a friendly Morphan Soul Render affects a friendly Morphan Namardi unit, add three to the number of slain bottles that are returned to that unit. So that could be up to six if you're doing it right. It's base D3 plus three. Or if you killed something with your Talon Hook, three plus three, which is six. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Of all of them, that seems the least. It's not like it's not good. I get that, but it seems like the least, I don't know, benefit. Uh, but again, if you're playing with you're playing Soul Render. Heavy, yeah, that and you're playing Heavy, then you're playing because this is per Soul Render. Yep. So 
if you have a bunch of these tactical Namardi blocks, yep. and Namardi are one of the more cost-efficient units in this book at 145 yeah. points, mm-hmm. or sorry, 130 points for Thralls, 170 for Reavers, you could have just a bunch of these floating around. Sure. That's, yep. Bring it back six every time. Yeah. Well, or the well, likelihood, you know, minimum D3 four. D3 plus three. Yeah. Yeah, the E3 plus three. It, okay. It's about working towards your expected averages. Now. Okay. Like, yeah, if you manage to get your soul render in to kill something, yes, you're talking about six. But otherwise, it's D3 plus three, which is somewhere between four and six. But still, five is, as your average, is yeah. quite good. Yep. If you lose 10, you get a lot, you get half of them back on average. Yeah. Which is good. And which is good. as we went through the heroes, there's not That's a lot true. of things that, have, that use command abilities. Keeping that in your pocket as what you're going to use for Battleshock. It's pretty good. There's the command trait that I really like for the Achilleans, which is the immune to Battleshock bubble. Yep. So keep Hitting hard and sticking around. Yeah. Yep. Okay. The next one is Fothan, which is interesting because it's, to me, this is kind of a War Scroll Battalion workaround when they have things like this where you can combine units to get a benefit. Sure. Because that's kind of what we used to do, but this is obviously on a smaller scale. But Bloodthirsty Shivers is a way that you can combine your sharks. Yes. To make them something bigger and better. And basically what you're doing is you're getting three sharks for about 500 points, and they count as a single unit but each model is counted separately Hmm. is what you get we've had that before that's something we've seen yep these sharks taken as this group these three are known as a bloodthirsty shiver yes that's the name of them so that's where the term comes from so if you do take this particular subfaction you can include bloodthirsty shivers in your army and at the start of the combat phase you can pick one unit from each bloodthirsty shiver in your army that would be one model one shark if you do so until the end of that phase if the unmodified hit roll for an attack made with that unit's ferocious bites is six it explodes you get two hits instead of one make a wounded save roll for each if the attacking unit is within three inches of one or more units from the same shiver its ferocious bite scores three hits when it explodes yeah that can be pretty good. Coolio, if you're heavy into sharks, it's be pretty neat. It also makes those shivers battle line. Nice. You have to take the three units. It's 495 points. There's no discount for taking them together. Mm-hmm. But you can take one unit of shivers, so those three sharks, and that's your battle line, and that's sorted. Mm-hmm. And you're done. So uh, even though it's... It's counted as single. It still counts as three units of one battle line purchased individually. Each is a separate unit. Each unit is a battle line battlefield role. It's interesting. Yeah. You'll see that sharks have a bunch of attacks, right? And we know that there are ways to increase the number of attacks to (laughs) two units, particularly and primarily through using Volturnos. Mm -hmm. But hey, those jaw attacks are... Pretty vicious. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Dom Hain is probably the most complicated one. (laughs) Okay. So it's good that you're doing it. Yeah. So buckle up as we walk you through this one. (laughs) Okay. So you have the rule to Marty Savages. This is like seven sentences that are two different rules under the same rule. So get out a pen and paper, lock in. It's going to take a minute. If you take the first turn of the current battle round in your combat phase after friendly Dom Hayden to Marty unit has fought for the first time in that phase. All right, so you have to go first in your combat phase and after a Namardi unit has fought and there are no enemy units within three inches of that Namardi unit, you can attempt to charge move with that unit if it's within 12 inches of an enemy unit. If that unit finishes that charge move within half an inch of an enemy unit, you can pick that unit to fight for a second time in that phase when it is your turn to do so. That's the first half of the rule. Okay. 
If you take the top of the turn, you basically have this extra aggressive benefit to just keep going. But the way that reads, you're going to have to wipe out the enemy unit you attack. Correct. You are taking the top of any battle round. Mm Mm-hmm. And after your Nabarti unit has fought for the first time, and if there's nothing around it, you can then make a charge move. If you get in a charge move, they can pile in and fight again, you know, when it comes around next to do your picking. Right. That doesn't mean fight right away, but when you can trigger this on a high tide mm-hmm. where you are striking first with those units, if timed out correctly, this is a crazy you know, big wave that crashes over your opponent. Mm-hmm. If you take the second turn in the current battle round, when a friendly Domhain hero issues the redeploy command to a friendly Domhain Namardi unit... You so can, redeploy. Yes. Okay, this is redeploy, all right. Specifically redeploy if you're going second. All right. You can pick up to three friendly Domhain Namardi units to receive this command instead of only one friendly unit. Fair. It's good. Yeah, that is good. Pull everything back and wait yeah. until it's your turn and then crash. Shift it over, right? <laughs> yeah. You know... If you're going second, you can't do this overrunning Namardi thing. Mm-hmm. You you have to be going first to be able to do that. Okay. Now, there's a penalty to that, right? Which is you're going to extend beyond your bubbles in many cases. Yes, I understand this very well, being I, hot. Yes. <laughs> I know you do, right? But <laughs> yeah, it's like I've talked about before, you know, rolling the 10 up to charge out of phase for Night Haunt is really good, but... Nine out of ten times, you're going to break your bubble by doing that. And so you've put your guys out there, and they'll have no buffs. Is it worth the trade-off of getting those extra attacks? You always have to make that choice. It's just like with Night Haunt, you know, even Chain Rasks can get buffed pretty decently. Certainly with Thralls and things like that, they can really get buffed. Do you want to have them out of range of their heroes? Is that really worth doing this? Yeah, Yeah, I don't know. Choices, choices. So you almost want to use this not as an extender, like as a clearing of an area, bringing mm. the units towards the middle, towards other heroes where they can maintain whatever levels of support that they need. Like objective control, things like that. Yeah. Or clear a flank. This is a cool one because on paper, right, there's a lot of potential benefits. Mm-hmm. But when you sit there and dive in a little bit mm. deeper on what it means on the table, if you keep pushing all of your stuff up, you're going to to do that at some penalty. You're going to overextend, yep. Right, but this is where something like Steed of Shadows or the Steed of Tides or whatever it is, mm-hmm. that you can toss out a hero towards where you think you're going to need them. Sure, it, makes sense. It you know, comes into handy. Perfect. Okay, and the last one is Briamdar. This one is Supreme Soul Scryers. So this is Soul Scryer Enclave. During deployment, if you set up friendly Soul Scryer using the Finder Ways ability, up to three Deacon units can join the Soul Scryer instead of two. In addition, if you set up any units that join the Soul Scryer, you can set those units wholly within 12 inches of that Soul Scryer and more than nine inches of enemy units. Okay, if you're going to do the Deep Strike thing, then this would be the way to go. Yeah. If that's what you're build is going to be it's useful i don't know that you're necessarily gonna want to bring three units or that the 12 (laughs) inches versus the nine inches is going to make too big of a difference to you but sure overall i like these sub factions brendan some of them can be really really powerful depending on the build that you take but it gives you a lot of choices almost any one of these is probably a build you are going to want i agree yep There's four of them that I really like. There's two of them that I am kind of lukewarm on, but there's none that I look at and go, you're just totally wasting your time. Now, what are the two? Mine are a Morphan and Briamdar. Those are the two that I'm not really excited about. I mean, they're okay, but... Yeah, I'm not super keen on Morphan, and I'm really not super keen on Nautilar, because it's... Mm -hmm. Unless you 
have a reason to be taking your turtles as battle line. I don't see a reason mm. why you necessarily really want to do that. Sure. And it's just one monstrous action. Yes, bringing it up to Ren 3 is quite good. I feel like you have some better choices that you can make. Okay. Fair enough. Like, I like Morphan, but it requires you to build in a very specific way. I like Iron Rack because it gives you versatility. I like Foython because the Bloodthirsty Shivers seem pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. And Dom Hain. I like that one on the surface, and I think it would be interesting to see how it plays out in the hands of somebody who, who spends a lot of time with that play style. Okay. All right, my friend. Why don't we move on to units then, yes? Yeah. I believe so. Not okay. too many in this book. No. Uh, we're going to hit eels first. Now, here's a question. I want to talk about this a little bit. So based on the new book and based what I am have seen on tables and everything else, eels have kind of slid off to the side, it seems. Yeah, they're not as good. They're 195 each for three. Mm-hmm. And as we go through the War Scrolls, you'll see that quite a bit of what made them really, really excellent got scaled back. Okay. And they're at a similar cost to where they were before. And there's a heavy emphasis in this book to the benefit of Namardi. Mm-hmm. So right. it doesn't mean that you can't play with them and that they don't serve a role. They just don't seem to be the point of emphasis that they right. were before. Which I like. As I've talked about many times, I like to see diversity in those units and see something different on the table from different players of the same faction. So yeah. good stuff. All right. Why don't you talk to us about the Ishlingard first? Yeah. So these are your shield eels. Fortunate range, four up save, bravery seven, four wounds. They've got their hell saber, which is a one inch range, three attacks, threes by threes, rend one damage. And their fangs and tail, one inch range, three attacks, threes and threes, rend one damage, d3. Fine. They fly. They're on eels. Yeah. Champion adds one to the attacks characteristics of their sword. The standard bearer is one in three models. You add one to the bravery. Okay. The musician is one in three models. Add one to charge rolls, which is quite a bit better than re-rolling charges. <laughs> And then you have the biovoltaic barrier. You ignore the modifiers, both positive and negative to save rolls for attacks that target this unit. In addition, this unit has a save characteristic of three up instead of four up if it charged in the same turn. Awesome. Yeah. It's kind of ethereal for eels. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> it's right. But again, for 195 points, it does less than its predecessor. Sure. So sometimes it can be really tough to see past that. But having something that mm. cannot be made worse than a four up save is quite useful yeah, uh, if you, you put know. it into something that has a lot of rend a, a low number of attacks yep. and a lot of rend mm-hmm. this is the prime unit that you want to send them into not something that can do a lot of mortal wounds but something that has to get through in a conventional way sure great stuff and then we have the morsar guard these are the pokey eels they have the same profile uh, in general they have a champion standard bear musician all the same they have the fangs and lashing tail, the same, but they have a volt spear, which is the different weapon. One inch range, two attacks, three by threes, no rend, one damage. So they're a biovoltaic blast. I said that, all right. Yeah. <laughs> Once per battle, after this unit makes a charge move, you can say this unit will unleash its biovoltaic energy. If you do so, you can pick one enemy unit within one inch of this unit and roll a number of dice equal to the number of models in this unit. For each four up, enemy suffers one mortal. For each six up, the enemy suffers D3 mortals. Add one to the roll if the number of models in that enemy unit is greater than the number of models in this unit, which, depending on your target, is very possible. Yeah, so it's a three up for one and a five up for D3. Very nice. That's useful. Yeah, absolutely. And then wave riders, 
This unit's Volt Spears have a rend characteristic of two and a damage of two if they made a charge move. Just like with eels before, really charging is to your benefit and you're going to charge your eels. So. Yeah. The thing that is really kind of a bummer here is that you're range one on the Volt Spears. Mm-hmm. So you're going to be incentivized to run these in units of three mm-hmm. to get right. the most out of it. Fair. Okay, man. Well, that's it for the eels. Yep. So over to sharks. Oh, yeah. Sharks are good. Sharks were good in Broken Realms Wrathy, and sharks remain good now. They're better now, really. <laughs> yeah. So they are 14-inch move, 4-up save, bravery 6, 8 wounds. You have a couple of choices in terms of armaments. You have to pick between the harpoon or the net launcher. Mm-hmm. But then you have the rest that are the same. Okay. So your harpoon launcher is range 24, four attacks, threes and threes, rend one, damage D3. Mm-hmm. Good. The net launcher is 18 inches, one attack, threes and threes, no rend, damage three. And you'd say, Brendan, why on earth would you take the net launcher? Clearly the harpoon launcher hands up, is better. Hands up, Wait a minute, I know, and I you know. know. <laughs> There's a special rule. Entangled, right. if an attack made with the net launcher scores a hit, so all you gotta do is roll that three up. The target unit cannot make a pilot move in that turn. Wow. Solid. That is yeah. really good, yeah. Yeah, so it's the same as before, but, you know, you got to make some choices. And then in terms of the melee weapons, you have the barbed hooks and blades. Those are one-inch range, six attacks, threes and threes, red one, damage one. And then the shark has its bites. One-inch range, three attacks, threes and threes, red two, damage two. Mm-hmm. Solid. Yeah. The unit flies. If this unit has two or more models, one of them can be an alpha. You add one to the hit rolls for attacks made with that model's melee weapons. Mm-hmm. Cool. Bloodthirsty Predators, you add one to the attacks characteristics of this unit's ferocious bites. If it is within three inches of an any enemy models that have wounds or mortal wounds allocated to them, or it's within six inches of any enemy unit that had any models slain in that turn. So mm-hmm. this is where the Bloodthirsty Shivers really come in handy. Yep. Because you want to roll as many dice as possible on your ferocious bite attacks to try and get as many extra hits as possible. Yep. And then a Merciless Shiver. If a unit has two or more models, it is coherent if each of those bottles is within three inches horizontally of each other instead of one inch we have seen that before that's great that they're getting that give you a little bit more room to move around and coherency isn't an issue especially when you've got really big bottles yeah yeah that's great Really, really cool. I like changes they've made. I like I like sharks. And there's a lot of things to do between the enclaves and some other buffs that they can get depending on who they're running around with, etc. So very, very nice. Yep. Then we have the Leviathan. Yes. Giant turtle. We have the razor shell. Okay, so 10-inch move, 16 wounds, save goes from 2 up to 5 up. Wow. And bravery 6 here. All right. We have the razor shell harpoon launcher. This thing has a 24-inch range again, but eight attacks on the turtle instead of the shark. So you know the three sharks. I just want to talk about the points so people can kind of get some context here. The turtle is 500. Yep. But if you take a bloodthirsty shiver, it's five points less. Yeah, or you take a unit of... Three sharks. Three sharks, and it's you, about 500 points. Which you can so. do because right. they become battle line in Foython, and so right. you can reinforce them twice if you wanted to. Yes. So for the same number of points, you're actually getting a few more attacks with your harpoon launcher. But that's not why you, you would take. take the Leviathan. Yes. But just to kind of see. And you don't have the option with the Leviathan of the net launcher either. That's another thing you don't have. Oh, darn. But <laughs> given what it does. So we also have three weapons. Uh, the twin prong spear and razor shell harpoons, one inch range, six attacks, three by threes, minus one, one damage. The side fins is two inch range, four attacks, twos by threes, minus one, and 
four damage. Wow, good. Crushing Claws is one inch range, two attacks, and starting with a two to hit down to a five on the table, two to wound, minus two, three damage. Man, that is brutal. Wow. Yeah. Because those are going to get through very often. Flies, its mount has a crew that have the spears and harpoons and such. The crushing charge, if you carry out a stomp monstrous rampage with this unit and it ha- against a unit that has a wound characteristic of one, that enemy unit suffers D6 mortals on a two-up instead of D3, okay? The Jaws of Death, if the unmodified hit roll for an attack made with this unit's crushing jaws is six, it inflicts three mortal wounds on the target attack sequence ends. If the unmodified hit roll for an attack made with the crushing jaws is six and the target is a monster, that attack inflicts six straight up instead of three. Okay, now here's the void drum that you had talked about before mm-hmm. that you can get some benefit uh, for if you pick a certain mount trait, wasn't it? Or what was it that so the mount added three added, inches? You know, it made it 15 instead of 12. Okay, so here's what it does. Add one to save rolls for attacks that target friendly Ident Deepkin units that have a wounds characteristic of eight or less that are wholly within 12 inches of any friendly Avidon. In addition, add one to hit rolls for attacks made with friendly Namarty units that target an enemy unit wholly within 12 inches of friendly Leviadons. So adding the range to that is useful, right? Ooh. Because it's having to target enemy units that are wholly within range of the Leviathan and obviously you don't control what your opponent does so getting them in range can be problematic yeah a little bit tricksy yeah this is where you know the Nautilar you know monstrous rampage we can talk about the side fins would go from red one to red three which Mm -hmm. is good on a damage profile that starts at you know four down to one right scales right okay and the crushing jaw is two attacks that go from red two up to red three it's a total. You're talking about a total of six attacks that are gaining this benefit. Mm-hmm. Is that better taking a battle line turtle than the other sub factions? And I don't know that that answer is necessarily yes. Is it cool? Sure. Is it fun? Yeah, of mm-hmm. course. Is it your most competitive thing to take? I don't think so. Yeah. The other thing is with that list we had talked about, where you take three and you take an Achillean King, that only gives you. Four units on the table. Yeah. For objective holding and things like that. I mean, there is there is that issue always if you don't have enough units on the table. I would much rather take Iron Rack because the turtle is an Achillean. Give it a out-of-phase retreat and charge. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, that's more valuable. Okay. You know, you don't have to roll for it. It's something that happens automatically. You go, mm-hmm. here you go. You're an Achillean. You now are affected by this other set of rules out of phase. Let's talk to Marty. Oh, man. Do you want to talk Thralls or Reavers, Dan? Thralls, because I've had to deal with them. Okay. Oh, it, was, uh, it was scary. Unit of 20 of these things, I had no idea. It, I'll talk a little bit about it. They're squishy, but boy, they do some damage. Next episode. But I got too aggressive, which is something you and others have warned me about with the gash. You have to pick your targets carefully. And I got too aggressive after something happened. And all of a sudden, I had 20 Namardi Thralls you were surrounded. in my lap. And it was like, okay. And that was I, unpleasant. It's over. <laughs> he ended up having one wound left at the end of that. It was just brutal. Namardi Thralls, six-inch move, one wound, five-up save, seven bravery. One model is a champion. You add one to the attack's characteristic. They have blades, two-inch range, which is very important. Two attacks, three by threes, minus one, one damage. Because being able to stack them, they are on 32s, so that is just invaluable, having that two-inch range. Sweeping blows, add 
quantity attacks characteristic of this unit's Lanmari blades at the if the target has a wounds characteristic of 1, add 1 to the damage characteristic instead if the target has a wounds characteristic of 3 or more. So I was facing 20 of these little suckers that all had damage too. Yeah. And it was frightening. Man, and they weren't even buffed yet. Let, counting all the buffs we've talked about, they were just absolutely frightening is the only word I can use. Because it's very easy to oh. get this unit up to 2s to hit, 2s to wound, mm-hmm. rend 1, and either three attacks or damage two. You can get them two, three attacks, and damage two mm-hmm. if you are using Volternos to do that. Mm-hmm. Again, you know, that requires a specific set of things. I don't know. That's pretty good. You can spend some points, and Lotan can be nearby. Now, that's what happened to me, because he was adding one to wound rolls. Right. It's like, right. holy mutt. So, like, you're talking about E. You have Lotan nearby, adding one to rune rolls, or you have an Eidolon of the Storm, which mm-hmm. is adding one to rune rolls. So... You can have these different things that are giving you this benefit. You know, they can be babysat by soul renders to, you know, provide a higher level of reliability. You can have a Leviathan nearby adding one to the save rolls. You know, you have the Leviathan maybe adding one to the hit rolls. It's. And you have rituals to possibly give them a five up ward. Yeah, or you oh. have the rituals to add one to run and charge yes. rolls. Or, you know, yep. you, like you have all these options where you can take this really. Now, don't get me wrong, it's a good war scroll, but kind of innocuous war scroll. On its own, yes. Yeah, with no further context, and it becomes quite good. You cast Arcane Corrosion, and you're reducing the the rend of your opponent, so now you're more Mm -hmm. durable. Or you have an aspect of the sea, and obviously you can't take all of these things together. Right, right. right. Or maybe you could, but you're not going to have much left. Where you have the aspect of the seas, where you're reducing the save roll of that enemy, so now mm-hmm. you're effectively Ren 2. You know, you could have countercurrent going, where you're talking about your opponent being unable to get you, so you're dictating the pace of battle. Or you're playing the sub-faction, where you get to do all of this extra charging. Oh, and Brendan... We have the Thrallmaster, yeah. right? And he gets that choice to give them the flexibility. Yeah, you can reroll your hit rolls of one on something that's twos by twos. You have the ability to make your sixes to hit explode, which is pretty good. Subtract one from wound rolls. Like You have so many choices on the table as to yeah. what you can do. Mm-hmm. It just comes down to you, the operator, deciding what to do and when and what's the right thing. And to your point early, you mentioned it a couple times, is making sure that you get this little missile delivered to the target intact. Correct. That's the trick. Yes. Yeah. So that's where the pairing of Alapexes and Eels with your Namardi core, I think, ends up being one of the more crucial elements. Okay. All right. So the other set of Namardi, which are also pretty good, by the way, your Namardi Reavers... At 170 points, which is a little steep, but again, they're pretty good. 8-inch move, 5-up save, bravery 7, 1 wound. They have the Whisper Bow, which is 18-inch range, 2 attacks, 3s and 3s, rend 1, damage Mm 1. And their Keening Blade, 1-inch range, 1 attack, 3s and 3s, no rend, damage 1. Their Champion adds 1 to the attacks characteristics of their melee weapons. (laughs) And then you have Ripples of the Aether Sea. You add 1 to hit rolls for attacks made with missile weapons by this unit if the target is within 9 inches of the attacking model. Okay. Pricey at 170. They're not a bad unit, though, but your other choice is 130 points for Namardi Thralls. It's... Yeah. Reavers are good. Don't get me wrong, but man, this is the Thralls Ascendant book. We'll talk about the shipwreck here. Uh, So this is your faction terrain. You set it up after territories are determined. You can set up this faction terrain wholly within your territory, more than three inches from all objectives and other terrain features. If both players can set up faction terrain, you roll off. 
This faction terrain consists of two scenery pieces. When you set it up, you can set up the two scenery pieces touching, or you can set them up more than three inches from each other. If you set them up touching, they form one large gloomtide shipwreck. If you set them up, they are two small shipwrecks, and that's important for mm-hmm. the fact that it is defensible. If it is a small shipwreck, it can be garrisoned by up to five Aidenet Deepkin models with a wounds characteristics of five or less and do not have mounts. If you pick a large shipwreck, you can pick up to ten Deepkin models with a wounds characteristics of five or less and do not have mounts. Mm-hmm. And then you also have the Guardians of the Deep rule. So Aidenet Deepkin units that do not have a mount have a ward of a five up, while they are wholly within six inches of the terrain <laughs> feature. Uh. If that unit does not have the Aidenet Deepkin keyword and is within three inches of the terrain feature, this ability has no effect. Mm-hmm. So... It can be shut down relatively easily, but there's an artifact that lets you bring more shipwrecks to the table. And so that's that's kind of a neat way of preserving your stuff, especially in the early game, if there's something that can bypass your Forgotten Nightmares rule. Sure. Those are the units. There's no spells to talk about. Nope. So let's talk about the last bit of these new books, which is your strategies. Uh, grand strategies, battle tactics. And you know, normally there's some battalions, but there are... None. Just strategies and battle tactics. And, you know, as we've come to talk about, usually the grand strategies listed are worse than the ones that you can get out of the main rules. But maybe not here. Dan, you want to pick a grand strategy to talk about? Actually, I like the gloom tie when you talk about shipwrecks. Mm-hmm. When the battle ends, you complete this grand strategy. If there are any gloom type shipwrecks in your army on the battlefield, and all of them are more than three inches from all enemy units, just tuck this thing in a corner somewhere and let, just leave it alone and just play your game. If that's your advantage, yeah. then cool. But I think you always want to be using the free stuff. Sure. To okay. your benefit. Namardi Assault, when the battle ends, you complete this grand strategy if two or more Namardi units are within three inches of any enemy units, or if they are the only battle line units on the battlefield are friendly Namardi units. Okay. Unfortunately, this is invalidated if you have anything else that is <laughs> battle line and it's alive. Not a fan of this die, one. You, die, die. Like, you, you might as well just take hold the line, right? Like, right. like these drive me absolutely This is what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So let's do another one here. We'll just do them while we're here. When the battle ends, this is uh, Achillean Pursuit. When the battle ends, you complete this grand strategy if there are three or more friendly Achillean units wholly within enemy territory. Why? Right. Why? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Brenton. The more we read these, like, the more furious I grow. Yes. These aren't choices. No, they're not valid choices if you want to get the three points at the end of the game. And listeners, if I'm super off base here and you are the kind of player that looks at some of these and goes, as I'm building my list, I don't care if the grand strategy is achievable. It's more important that it's thematic to me. Please let me know because I truly do not have the ability to grasp who this is for. Mm -hmm. And if somebody can change my mind, I would really appreciate that because I do do not understand this at all. Mm-hmm. And maybe in a different time in a different place where everybody has grand strategies and the ones from the core rules are pulled away. Very different. Like we can talk about that. Mm-hmm. But presently with the ones that are available to everyone, like the next one, Dominion of the Deep Ones. When the battle ends, you complete this grand strategy if the only monsters <laughs> on the battlefield are friendly with Iodons. Why on earth would you just not take Beastmaster? Yes, because this is dependent on your opponent. And you have to build a list with Leviathans in it. 
it forces you to do that, though. Yeah. And you may not be somebody who wants to take Leviathan. Right. So you're not going to take this one anyway. Right. Fine. Cool. Right. Whatever. But why not take Beastmaster? Yeah. Where it's dependent on you having monsters on the field. Right. It has nothing to do with your opponent's monsters on the mm-hmm. field. Right. It just drives me nuts. Battle so, tactics. Ooh. Okay. Okay. Breathe, man. Breathe. Yeah. <laughs> I'm stuffed up, so I might not actually be getting enough oxygen. <laughs> Assassins of the High Tide, you can... This is a tactic. So yep. you complete this battle tactic... Two or more enemy units are destroyed during this turn by attacks made by friendly Thieb King units that are affected by the high tide. Great. That's very doable. Very doable. Love it. Something you want to be doing anyways, something you're going to have access to. Fantastic. Awesome. Terrific. Mm -hmm. Predators of the Deep, pick one unit in your opponent's starting army that is on the battlefield, has a wounds characteristic of eight or more, and that has zero wounds allocated to it. You complete this tactic if that unit is destroyed this turn by a friendly Achillean Alpex unit. Doable. Manageable. Kind of weird and situational, but, you know, in your hip pocket, don't mind it. Yeah. The next one is Revenge of the Namarty. You complete this battle tactic. If an enemy hero or monster is destroyed during this turn by an attack made by friendly Namarty units. Oh, yeah. Boom. And they will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Deny trespassers. Pick one gloom-tide shipwreck in your army that is within 12 inches of any enemy units. You complete this battle tactic if that gloom-tide shipwreck is more than 12 inches from all enemy units at the end of this turn. Cool. Doable. Yeah. Manageable. Yep. Trapped in the undercurrents, you complete this battle tactic if three or more friendly Aideneth Deepkin units retreated and made a charge move during this turn. Hmm. That one's practically automatic Tides. in some cases, right? <laughs> like, Absolutely. Now, this one becomes a kind of difficult one to get if you flip the tides, where mm-hmm. it comes down to battle round five. Sure. But if you're on the regular tide sequence, like this one is pretty close to automatic. Yep. Assassins of the High Tide is pretty close to automatic. You take your run three together, that one's pretty much automatic. Mm-hmm. Conquer, you know, is one of those ones where, you know, you, you can, can make, easily get five. I mean, there's, like, they're there. These are separate from their grand strategies. Their battle tactics are really solid. Mm-hmm. And so our last one, Ishran Defiance. When you reveal this battle tactic, pick one objective wholly within enemy territory. At the end of this turn, you complete this battle tactic if you control that objective and there's a friendly Ishran unit within six inches of that objective. Okay. That one's a little bit tougher because it is keyworded to Ishran. Uh, Ishran, and those are your foot heroes, which are typically very slow. But this is one that you can set up and probably takes a couple turns to do right. But if you're in a, in a strong position, this one's very doable. There's not a battle tactic on here that's bad. Some are more situational than others, and some are dependent on you know what your army composition looks like. Sure. But all of these are... Very, very, very achievable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it always makes me jealous now. Every time I see a new book and the book has its own battle tactics that my night hunts still don't. Yeah, I mean, it's coming. It, it's, it's just coming. like, I would love to have that extra half a dozen choices. It'd be really cool. I, I don't you know? know necessarily how jealous you have to be. Some of these that we've looked at have been oh horrific. Right. But just totally useless. You get a strong set like this and you're hopeful that you're going to get that. And again, it gives you twice as many choices as you have now. Yeah, this is good. Yeah. Forget the grand strategies, you know, unless something substantially changes in the way that the game works out. You're taking the stuff from the core rules anyways. These six battle tactics throwing on top of what your regular choices are, you should have no problem achieving five battle tactics every single game. Okay. This is so unbelievably manageable. Yeah. Right, man. Well, that's the book. Yeah. Um, So what do you think? I really like it. First of all, like that... There are really strong choices besides my friend the eels. I love that. I love how the sharks dynamic has changed and that they've really they become a viable element 
rather than just having a shark moving around the board to kind of fill in something. They're really, really strong, or they can be. I love that this is another book where you have to understand all of those interactions and all the potential for buffs for your units. So I think it's going to take a lot of time. Uh, if you're already an Ideneth player, I'm sure a lot of this will just kind of slide right into. But if you're not and you're starting it, I think it's just going to take a lot of time for you to figure out you know, what buffs you have and which ones are strongest, which ones to apply to which units so that you don't miss anything. Because it's possible since you have so many choices and so many things going on. Yeah. But I like it overall. I really like this book. Okay. How about you? One of the key elements to me is when, we, when we're when we doing these book reviews is I keep track of what I call bad units. Mm-hmm. And I will say, you know, again, excluding the Underworld's Warbands, because mm-hmm. we don't read those and I really don't count them. They only count if they're good. Yeah, sure. I didn't see a war scroll in here that is flatly bad. Mm-hmm. There are things that are less good than other ones. The eels, I think, are taking a backseat to some of the other choices. Sure. And there's... Not really anything in this book that I think is really priced so wrong that you're not in the ballpark, right? right. So yeah, our Leviathan's probably a little expensive at 500. Yeah, but where's the right point value for it? Right. Probably about 450. Okay, so if it's 500, it's in there. It's in the ballpark. Right. I don't think it's crazy. Yeah, and uh, I, I just want to say too, I sound like I always sound like I'm down on the eels. It's not like I don't think they're still a very viable unit that has a purpose. Mm-hmm. I just like seeing that there are more choices is all. What the eels are going to be in this edition of the book is their role is going to be different. They're going to do different things. They're going to serve a different purpose, mm-hmm. which isn't bad. Right. One of my biggest Absolutely. criticisms of the old Deepkin book was that if you played it for a long time, you didn't learn to play Age of Sigmar. You learned mm-hmm. to play Eidneth Deepkin eels. <laughs> and that knowledge didn't translate to other armies necessarily as effectively mm. as if one of the questions we always get is, you know, what's a good battle tome as a, if I want to learn to play this game competitively? Mm-hmm. And, you know, my answer was war clans, because you had all of the fundamental elements of the things you have to learn to play in this game. Mm-hmm. And I think my answer is still war clans. This is a book that brings you back into having to play the game Age of Sigmar, you retain a lot of the things that make your army special and weird and different. Mm-hmm. You know, the tides of death are cool. I know a lot of people complain about Forgotten Nightmares being a pain in the butt. Having a rule that screws around with other armies, I'm mm-hmm. fine with. Mm-hmm. It forces you as a player to, if you're taking something that is shooting reliant, to answer the question of how do I deal with this army that doesn't let me do exactly what I'd want to do when I want to do it? Mm-hmm. If the answer is I can't, well, You have two choices to make at that point. Change your composition or what your army does so that you either can or B, just hope that you don't get them and maybe beat them (laughs) in a mission that they don't like. I like having things that are floating out there that you go, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to see that. Hmm. And there will be tournaments where you go to where it's not a big deal. There's tournaments where you go to where you got to play lights out to get what what it is that you want to go do. I think that's neat. I like that they kept the tides the way that they are. I like that they streamlined a lot of the rules to bring them into Mm 3.0. It's a good book. It's a strong book. I think it's more powerful on the surface than the Fire Slayers book that we looked at Mm -hmm. because I think the combinations and things in it are more obvious. But I think there's a couple of like real sneaky gears, you know, that mm. you can shift to to really get some horsepower sure. out of this book. So you have a subfaction like Dom Hain, where on the surface that sounds really good, and then as you think about it, you go, oh, well, there's some real negatives to this. But if you got 
the practice in to mm-hmm. understand yes. where and when to lean into those advantages and when to back off. Man, I think that's a really scary prospect of somebody who's willing to spend the time to gain the expertise to understand the situations and how to capitalize on perhaps an opponent that understands what you're trying to do well, like in and around the priority role. Obviously, that's not something that's in your control, but you can use the threat of the top of the turn as a benefit to wanting to, you know, to making your opponent think that you don't want to go second, but you really actually do, especially in and around battle round three, which is where your high tide is and and burning objectives. I think that there's some really cool, you know, like knife juggling tricks basically that come out of this. This is cool. I'm excited for Deepkin players. I'm excited for what this means from the competitive scene. Like, I'm really not sure what this is going to introduce, like, on a full scale. If I had to kind of shoot from the hip on what these lists look like is you're going to have an Eidolon, you're going to have a bunch of Namarty, you're going to have a bunch of Sharks, you're going to have some Ishran, and then, you know, unfortunately that's going to be most of your points because this this (laughs) stuff is kind of expensive. It is, yeah. But you're probably going to have a King in there, kind of no matter what. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You you might have Volturnos, you might not. Lotan's going to show up quite a bit more, but your army composition of what modern Deepkin armies are going to look quite a bit different than what they did before. I don't think it'll be uncommon to see two Eidolons. Mm-hmm. I think that'll be pretty normal. You know, you'll see multiple turtles because people are going to want to play them as battle line. Cool. You're going to see a ton of sharks because, you know, they're battle line in Flaithon and shivers are pretty good. Also, battle line sharks. Who doesn't yeah, want that? Of course. Of course. And I mean, I'm anxious to see or hear about the first time that 20 thralls charge into a giant and kill it, you know, and that's possible based on the buffs that they're getting. Your odds aren't great, but yes, it is possible. Yeah. And it's really cool to just think about the fact that these little guys can do something like that against such a powerful unit yes. in, the, in the game. All good stuff, man. I, I think it'll do well. I think it has a couple of natural predators out there because it is mm-hmm. very like it is very squishy and a correctly done shooting attack or set of shooting attacks isn't necessarily totally completely neutered it's a player with that kind of thing really has to think about what it is that they're doing and the and the mm. deep kid player has to be smart about what they present to that opponent to try and frustrate them sure that's exactly what you want out of these kinds of books and and that's exactly what we got okay coolio all right man well thanks yeah and listeners were Hoping you have some questions for us. Shoot them across. Hopefully someone can explain yeah. these grand strategies to me because I'm, <laughs> I'm <Brendan's> confused. <laughs> All right, man. So we are going to move on to Scriptorium. Listeners, it's Scriptorium time and new releases. We have a few. The first one is, and I don't think this one was out. I recognize some of the others that are coming out in hardback, but this is a Sigismund book, and I'm pretty excited to have that out in hard copy. I think a lot of people enjoy Sigismund as a character in the heresy, and it's just really cool to see that he's got his own book because he certainly deserves it. The other one that have come out, these are two that have come out on audio. We have Lords of Mars, which is a series, first of a series by Graham McNeil, basically about an admech explorator fleet. And you have space marines that go with them, and what do they do? They look for artifacts, and they're running into Eldar and all kinds of stuff, Eldari. A very good book. The first one, so give it a try. And then Titanicus came out in audio, which is, it's like Stop GW. I've already got like five books in my queue, right? So this is one of Dan Abnett's kind of separate books that he wrote. And if you are at all interested in Titan War, mm. you should listen to this book. It is just outstanding. And of course, Toby Longworth himself is narrating, which is always awesome. But the story is so good because it's not just... 
heightens. There's all kind. There's politics going on, and there's this kind of subplot going on where the Mechanicus are plotting against other people, and you're with a couple of squads of Imperial Guard that kind of get caught up in all this. And you think about that, like, how do they get involved with the Titan War, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it, he makes it so seamless in the story, but really, really good stuff. So I highly recommend Titanicus. Brendan, how about you for all the thingies we talk about? Yeah, I haven't been reading very much, but I've picked up two new podcasts in the interim. Oh. The first of which is, uh, well, there's your problem. It's a podcast about engineering disasters. Oh, perfect. In the vein of most podcasts that I really like enjoying, there's somebody who's you know there to actually present the real earnest information. Sure. And then there's two people just screwing around the whole time. <laughs> they talk about, you know, just all kinds of engineering disasters and it's always within like the larger context usually because when you're talking about individual specific disasters, most disasters occur within potentially microseconds. Mm. You know, the thing that failed that, that led to whatever that is and, and that doesn't lead to something that's very interesting. It's usually an explanation of the magnitude of why this was so significant, mm. how we got to the place of why it was so significant, how these things or, you know, this particular vehicle or bridge or whatever, mm-hmm. it being destroyed in the way that it was, it failing in the way that it was was impactful. Okay. So or Maybe why those were just a bad idea to begin with. (laughs) So uh, one of my favorite episodes is about armored trains, which is their opening. They're like, imagine that you've got a tank, but you can only go in two directions. (laughs) And it's really just the same version of the one direction. And you can't, you have a hard time stopping and you have a hard time starting and your mobility is even more limited than a regular tank. One of the people on the show, I think they said effectively like, well, that sounds much worse. (laughs) State the obvious. That's hilarious. Yeah. So (laughs) that's good. So it's really fun. Every once in a while, they'll get into really technical physics-based discussion about what occurs, but they keep it pretty light and relatively easy to understand. The other one that I've been listening to is called... The Revolutions podcast, Mm. where the presenter of the podcast walks through, starting with the First and Second English Civil War Mm -hmm. in a narrative style. Oh, neat. You know, all of the activities that lead up to and the during into the end of kind of whatever you define as the end of those revolutions. And the first two series, I've worked my way through all the way which is the English Civil War and then the American Revolution. Oh, yeah. And at least to start here, you a lot of them have overlap or yeah. elements of them that carry through and kind of define that next activity. Well, like the American Revolution and the French Revolution were very closely related. It, very much so. And so the first two that he does, he tries to contain them into 15 episodes. Oh, okay. And, yeah. And then... At the end of the American Revolution, he said, look, I can't possibly try and contain the French Revolution in just 15 episodes. Uh, He said, so from here on out, we're going to take as much time as we need on all of these. And as I was looking through his library, so I'm in the midst of the French Revolution and like you're 12 episodes in and they like just got started in terms of, you know, like the tennis court oath and things like that. The storming of the Bastille, which a lot of people would consider to be the quote unquote start. Mm. So there's 10 episodes of context basically that Mm -hmm. he runs in they're all like 30 minutes oh that's great that's easy then the revolution of the soviet state is ongoing and he's at like 86 episodes or something like that wow 
I've got a lot of time. It's 40 hours worth of listening, man. Oh, just for that one. Yeah. Right? And I got to yeah. get there first. <laughs> so it sounds fascinating from a history, if you're a history buff. Yeah, it's been a really good listen. You know, there are definitely some things that you'll remember from different levels of schooling that you'll have to work with. But, you know, the fact that he's willing to go in on all of the details and willing to take sidebars to make sure that something is really explained Very has nice. been good. They're super quick, you know, in terms of them just being 30 minutes. So you can work them into just kind of small windows and it's not a big, oh my God, it's a six hour podcast. Yeah. What am I going to oh, do? Yeah. Like if it had just been the whole English civil war was one episode, you know, you're talking about eight hours, uh, right? Like you yeah. just look at that and you go, I don't know I'm about skipping this. that one. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. So that's what I've been listening to. I think uh, our listener, Travis, was asking me if kind of, if I had had any new podcasts I had gotten into. And Travis, I stumbled into these. I okay. hope you enjoy them. I know I have. So That's great. Great stuff, man. Okay. I have started reading again. Uh, there's a series by an author named David Drake, who's very well known. Drake was a Vietnam War veteran, so he's got some real, you know, on the ground knowledge of combat. And he wrote a series of books about a mercenary unit called Hammer Slammers. And the leader is, his name is Alwa Hammer. And one of the nice things about these, this is volume one, there's three volumes of, of the books for all the Slammer stories. The nice thing is, is these anthologies are maybe 15 or 20 little stories uh, that are all kind of interconnected, but it gives you the really good context of what's happening within the world. It talks about how Hammer took over this world that ended up being where the, the Slammers came from. Talks about, there's a whole little chapter that talks about like religion in the world. It talks about like the table of organization and equipment for the mercenary regiment. The first book I ever read for Slammers was called The Sharp End. And anybody who has military experience knows what that is and what the meaning is there. But I read this and just the characters and the way he wrote in, he kind of did a little introduction chapter for each character so you knew what they were like, what their personalities were like, what trauma they had gone through, things like that. And right away, there was one guy that I personally identified with when it talked about what was going on with him and what his sure. experience had been. And then I found out there was this whole world built around this story. Very, very cool. So it's called Hammer Slammers. And you can pick up individual books too. There's one called, the I think, The Butcher's Bill. There's several, uh, but really, really good stories, especially if you're into military sci-fi. And this isn't like super space travel, space battles and things like that. You still have tanks and you still have other things like that, but the technology is obviously very different. For example, the armor is made of iridium instead of, say, a titanium alloy, because iridium in this world or in this universe is very plentiful. It's also very light, but it's very strong. And the way he writes the stories, again, it's very much a human experience when you're reading them. So it's very, very... So I've started that again. I did finish listening to Magister and the Martyr. Iron Snakes are amazing. And the story is amazing. I have started listening to Assassinorum Kingmaker, which is so cool. Great, great story. It basically is about, I think I talked about it before, but it's, you know, these assassins are trying to kind of change the politics on this night. It's a night world that they're going into. It's a group of, there's a Vindicare, which is the shooty guy. There's a Calidus, which is the one, the shape changer. And then there's a, I think it's Venorum, which the Venorum assassins are kind of, they work data and they manipulate data and they do things like that to manipulate their targets. Death by numbers. So, yeah, kind of, yeah. 
So really well done. And the writing is good in the perspective that it's about the relationship between these three assassins because they're very different. Mm. The Vindicare is kind of the leader, but not really. Ends up being more of a team effort than him being the leader all the time. And the politics of the night world, if you've never experienced that, is very cool. So that's really been interesting. I watched a couple of ScarJo movies I haven't seen in a while. I watched Lucy and then Ghost in the Shell. I think most people know that Ghost in the Shell is based on a really popular anime series. And then, yes, I, I said that I would tell you when I watched it, not when I didn't. Yeah. So I finally watched Dune again on this big screen TV that the person we bought our home, new home from. Yeah. Uh, and it was just so cool. Lights out, you know, it was like being in a the theater. It was just really cool. So I think it's what, six, five or six times? I don't know. I, I lost count. It doesn't matter. It was just as cool. Brendan's shaking his head, of course. Dan, what is the so story many? With you? <laughs> how many times can a man watch what is effectively the first half of a movie? Yeah. First half of a story. Yeah. Yeah. Many times. And then other than that, I think baseball's kind of back on the menu in our house. So we'll be watching more of that now that the season started. So yeah, that's it for me. Cool. All right, man. Let us move on to this or that. Brendan? I'll start. Mine are pretty uninteresting, I oh, think. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, low expectations. So, Dan, talked about Deepkin today. Yeah, we did. Idle Out of the Storm or Idle Out of the Sea? I saw, again, a lot of my responses here, Brendan and the listeners, are based on personal experience, obviously. So, I saw what... I would the, hope it's personal experience. I, and you're I, not I, just I, farming these opinions out. <laughs> I think that the Eidolon of the Sea is very good. Yeah. It was really nice that it was a spellcaster also that had some staying power. It wasn't like five or six wounds, you know, sitting around on the table somewhere. It's got a lot of wounds and has the ability to heal pretty reliably. Yes. I think I would prefer that of the two. Okay. We both agreed that there are a lot of sub-factions we really liked. Mm. What was your favorite sub-faction? I think I like the one with the sharks because I, okay. you know, if people are going to go, well, you don't like eels, but yeah, but I like sharks. But I like sharks. They're <laughs> different. They're big eels. <laughs> so I like that one. And I like the whole bloodthirsty shiver mechanic in this book. That's very, very cool. Well, and you have this really interesting exchange rate of three eels equals one shark and three sharks equals one turtle. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, there's what, like currency, meta currency. Yeah, what, the- what is one turtle if not nine eels? <laughs> There you go, yeah. In the last two books we reviewed, Fire Slayers and Deepkin here, we mm-hmm. picked up two new battle lines that, you know, you're well, not really just two, but the two big ones that they designed special sub-factions around for you to, to run them together. Would you prefer to build the Fire Slayers Magma Droth list with the new Rune Sun on Magma Droth battle line or the Nautilar Leviathan battle line army? So I think it's it ends up being six magma droths total or three leviathans and I'd rather hero. do the six magma droths. Okay. Yeah. I just like the rules, like the models. Yeah. Cooler, I think. Yeah. Great. Uh, well, this last week, I uh, did some traveling for work. Yeah. Dan, what's your favorite way to wait for a plane? You have to wait for planes. You have to do it. It's a fact of life. You have to get yeah. there so early. Yeah, sure. And there's a lot of time that you have to sit and wait for a plane. What's your favorite way to wait for a plane? Either read or listen to a book. Okay. Yeah. 
one of those two things I, kills time. A lot of times I'll just stop at the little stores they have and pick up a couple of magazines that look interesting. And I'll take those and then, you know, toss them when I get wherever I'm going. Yeah, but those are the two things I like to do. Okay. Yeah, mine is spend way too long at a restaurant. Okay, there you go. Just Dude. way too long. <laughs> like, I'm not ordering, like, lots of stuff, you know, because it's all extra expensive. But, you know, it's oh, just... Yeah. We're just it's a place to hang out, Yeah, though. we're just going to sit here for a while. Yeah. <laughs> so, Dan, NBA playoffs started yesterday. Yeah, sure. Who are the two teams that make the finals? Oh, stop this. God, man. We, uh, okay, Suns. Okay. Suns are very good. Uh, you're not going to like my next answer. Maybe I won't. Heat. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, you know, what are they? Well, no, I'm not going to say anything yet because one of my questions is related. Okay. okay. Suns heat. Obviously, the Suns win because they are the ones that generate heat. That's just science. <laughs> of course. So. Yeah, obviously. You have to take the. The record has nothing to do with it. Of course not. Nope. Uh, and obviously, everyone knows that Bucks beat Suns. Yes, uh, of course. You know, because, you know, money is greater than, than all things. <laughs> so That's so uh, all right, man. So you just recently traveled to Mexico. You went south of the border. You've been there a couple times. Yep. So if you were to travel on your own time, somebody was going to buy you a ticket. I would not go to where I went. To either Mexico or Canada, would you go north or would you go south on your own time for four or five days? Probably go to Canada. Mm-hmm. I think there's a couple of places specifically that I'd like to go kind of more up north, like Towards like Alaska, Toronto's a pretty fun city. Mm-hmm. I I used to travel yeah. up there for work quite a bit. It's a lot bigger of a city than, you know, maybe you kind of think of it as. Mm-hmm. So Canada, yeah, I think Canada. Right. I, I'm also uh, generally a fan of colder climates. Now, don't get me wrong; it was beautiful down there, uh, okay. but it doesn't stay that way for very long. I've been told. <laughs> All right, so I've got a few Sigmar questions here. Okay. The first, and I think I know the answer to this, but I, I had it written down, so I'm not going to change it. Would you rather spend your 500 points on Bloodthirsty Shiver or on a Leviathan? It depends on the list, which is such a ridiculous cop-out answer. Majorly, but it's okay. Right. So I will say this with, I think most of my lists would have a turtle rather than three shark. Okay. And obviously you can't take a Bloodthirsty Shiver unless you're Fuethon, which means that you're building specifically to that, but... I'll interpret the question as three sharks, you know, because they're the same right, points. Right. I think I'd rather have the turtle having a monster in your list while it does potentially cost you a point or two here mm-hmm. or there in terms of battle tactics as they get achieved. It gives you the opportunity to score more and it mm. provides a greater benefit. It's a force multiplier kind sure. of uh, ability where sharks are damage dealers mm-hmm. and that's all they are. Yep. Okay. Fair enough. Tidecaster or Lotan? Oh, that's a good question. Obviously, the change to Tidecaster being that you can have multiple rituals, mm-hmm. being very good. Yes. And Lotan... You know, Is Lotan. <laughs> right. Where you can give him... You can give another unit a different Tide ability than what they're presently experiencing, plus one to wound bubble. And at the cost you get now, you can't give Lotan the command trait to be a Tide flipper. Right. In a vacuum, I think the Tidecaster is more useful, mm. uh, but I think there are specific builds where Lotan is a must-have excellent take. Okay. Great. The next one is with your Sylvaneth. Okay. Now, you're going to have a choice of either taking a Lariel or you're going to take a Revenant 
ancient and branchwish package. So you're going to take what you have now in your list, or would you rather take a Lariel for this about the same number of points, plus or minus? I'd rather have what I have now. The problem with combining all of that and then saying like, or you could just have a Lariel, is when you have three different casters, you have the ability to do different things than if you had just all those points tied up into one thing. Mm-hmm. Is Alario better than all three of them individually? Oh, absolutely. Sure. Oh, absolutely. You know, might be better than all three of them combined in combat, but I'm using those models as support pieces, and they can mm-hmm. do things that Alario can't. Sure. I can keep the Warsong Revenant in a place out of danger where I don't have to worry about that unit being threatened without my, the, uh, the basically the rest of my army being dead. Right. I mean, you have to get her stuck in or you're not using her potential. Right. You have to yeah. get her stuck in in the right places. You have to, you're going to make benefit of her healing. Like there are things that you have to do. You know, it's the thing that you're learning with Nagash where it's not a unit that you can throw into anything recklessly. Oh, no. But you have to find your places and your spaces to engage efficiently. And then the last question is heat or bucks? The bucks. This is a team that has been there. Yes, the Heat were there a couple of years ago, but it was a different situation. The bubble is not kind of a regular baseline expectations of playoffs. Mm-hmm. Quote unquote heat culture is built for the bubble. And I'm it's just looking fundamentally at, different. I'm looking at momentum going into the playoffs too, because they're both I think what the Bucks were twelve and four, they, Heat's thirteen and three. They both got healthy at exactly the right time. Yep. Which is yep. perfect. I think the path for both of the teams is gonna be kind of of a very similar mm-hmm. level of difficulty. But I think when they're playing each other, mm-hmm. you look at who your best players are. And I think the Bucks' top three is better you than, said that before, right? than the Heat's top three. When the, you're comparing teams. The playoffs are so fundamentally different because it doesn't matter how far down the bench you can go. Mm-hmm. You're going to have your five starters who are going to play a bunch. And then you've got to have two or three rotation guys that you can trust to get a good couple of minutes here and there. Okay, sure. And if your three are better than their three, then you just got to hope that you know the fourth or fifth guy just doesn't have one of those once-in-a-lifetime <laughs> nights where you just go, nothing I can do here. You, you got to be kidding me. Like last night, the Sixers played, and Tyrese Maxey, who is their third or fourth, depending on how you want to look at it, he went off for 38 points. Yeah. Well, shoot. Yeah. <laughs> nothing you can do about that. Yeah. yeah. So, okay, fair enough. We shall see. We shall see. That's it, Brendan. And it's time to move to show close. There is something going on around here. Something you may not even know about. It's show close time, and Brendan, you're going to give us the highlights of our pre-orders for next week. Okay, it's the highlights. By the way, listeners, just so you know, I had him like just give me an idea what it was before we did this part of the show, and he went through like 30 things. So I'm not going to do that to you because we really love you being with us. So he's going to shorten and edit his list. So Nether Maze is up for pre-order. And then the, the whole intonation of his voice, like he's a little kid who's disappointed, by the way, just <laughs> it's changed. You, you can order the Exiled <laughs> Dead, which is the zombie necromantic team, which is good. That's yeah, exciting. That is good. I like that. The Harrow Deep War bands are now out of that starter box. You can get them separate. Nice. There's a bunch of books and there's range rotation and then mm-hmm. some special 40K stickers and cards that you can buy. Oh, lovely. Just a plethora of things. So many things. Wow. So exciting. Episode 96, 
we are going to talk about, at least the plan is right now, our experience. Set, yeah. And then we'll probably want to talk about the Thandia book. I think so a little bit. Talk about the Incarnate, because mm-hmm. we may be seeing that on the table, for yeah. sure. So we'll see what's in there. And then those two things combined will probably warrant a full show. Yeah, I think so. And then after that is Vault Wars. Yeah, excitement. Yay. So much excitement. And then yeah. hopefully Daughters and then... Nighthawk. Uh, yeah. Now, just, I like when we can plan for more than like <laughs> one, one show. Yeah. It's the best. Now, just for timing wise, hopefully we're going to record in a couple more weeks again. We'll do the two week thing. But because of the timing with Vault Wars, it's probably going to be a few weeks after that for the next episode. Yep. Because if we did the normal two weeks, it would be on Vault Wars weekend. We'd be recording during right. around. Yeah. And maybe that would be interesting, but I really don't think uh, no, so. No, <laughs> we're going to be too busy and we're traveling yeah. a long way to get there. So we'll no, def- I meant like during game four. Oh, oh God, you know, no, the- no, <laughs> no. Oh man, live stream, kind of. <laughs> Two different tables, no coherent thought whatsoever. <laughs> you can hear how boring it is to play me and how chaotic it is to play Dan. Yes, because you never know what to expect from me. Neither does Dan. <laughs> Neither does Dan. That's so true. All right, man. Thank you again, my friend, for coming along for this ride. Of course. And listeners, as always, thank you for your support, for joining us for another episode. And you guys take care, stay safe, and we will see you next time around. Bye. This is the end.